0: Welcome back to post-game content. As ever, I'm your host, Max, joined by my co-host, Michael. How you doing today, Michael? Well. (laughs) Boy, that was a loaded (laughs) boss.
1: You know what? Don't ask loaded questions if you don't want loaded answers. (laughs) Starting
0: out with a bang off a hiatus.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a... Listen, there's been some stuff happen, and we'll talk about it in a minute. I'm just... There... I... Between probably the most, like, loaded three months of my life in terms of events, but also, like, the most loaded three months of video games, like, that's ever existed. <laughs> my attention has been torn a lot of different places and a lot of internal conflicts, a lot of external conflicts. Um, just been a, It's just been a roller coaster. So, uh, how about you, Max? How are you?
0: <laughs> God, le- less as as uh busy as you have been um but you're you're right it's been a sort of a crazy three months for for video games and stuff and <laughs> there's been a lot of releases that i've played a lot of and have a lot of thoughts about uh yeah. which i'm i'm sure we'll get into <laughs> yeah um that is probably a, the first that thing First thing we should address is uh where the fuck have we been for a while?
1: Yeah, so um, if you're in the Discord community, you'll probably have seen some of the updates. So um, this might some of this might not be news to everyone, but for those of you who are just casually tune in, don't partake in the Discord. Um, we Max and myself did convene uh, to we record. Did. An episode, um, and actually one that a lot of people probably saw and or were expecting, I should say, um, on Resident Evil 4. And we discussed the old game, the new game, the remake, the comparisons of that game to um, you know the other horror remake that came out this year, Dead Space. Um, and quite frankly, it was a great discussion. It probably didn't head in the direction that a lot of people thought <laughs> it probably it would have, um, but. We, there were, after a robust three hour conversation, um, so, so long clo- closing things out, there was a, a harrowing silence from Max's end where we came to the realization that the audio did not record. So, um, for those it of recorded, you who don't,
0: it just recorded silence. That, that's which, fair, uh, yeah, <laughs> is arguably preferable to a lot of my takes anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> But the, um, I guess the moral of the story is, for those of you who don't know, Max and I uh, do not record in the same room together. We are probably close to 350 miles apart, Um, and we do our episodes over a Discord call, and um, just lucky that I've been in podcasting for six, seven years now, and we can mash it together to sound like we are right next to each other, so...
0: Um, Big reveal that Michael and I don't live together.
1: <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, we are not in a relationship.
0: <laughs> yes. And thank you for all the fan art you keep sending in. That's
1: been great. <laughs> don't stop. Please um, don't
0: stop.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's kind of where we were, where we have been. Um, there's been some other like life events. Like uh, and that's probably that we recorded that episode in April, so that explains the April absence. And mm-hmm. in May, um and beyond, there's been family events from my end. Max is a married man now. I got married. Uh, so you can uh, you can imagine that at the culmination of all of those things, uh both Max and I were pretty disheartened about the episode of the Resident Evil episode. Uh, family events. I still have some personal stuff going on that's been eating up a lot of my time. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of where where we've been in in the absence there. So um, I'm sorry, but life happens. <laughs> but I don't want anyone to think that we were, you know, we're like taking a break because we weren't interested in the show or anything like that. It was just purely just time got out of us and um, just some unfortunate mishaps so
0: i genuinely this is the first time i think after a long absence that i'm not going to say fuck you to the audience Mm. this one was mostly on my end uh and you are allowed (laughs) to say fuck you to me so go ahead that's that's fair enough turnabout is fair play
1: well, yeah, I mean, our Discord community has set a precedence, and I should say our listener community has set a precedence that they have no problem joining the Discord, insulting you, and then immediately leaving. <laughs> so.
0: Which is, yeah, that's a good way yeah. to interact with that. <laughs>
1: that was too good, too good, too good.
0: Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Michael, in this tumultuous time, uh, when obviously you've had to balance a lot of things, and in the, you know few moments that you have to yourself what have you been playing
1: well it's no uh it's no secret that this has been the most stacked couple months of of gaming like in a long time we are eating good in
0: 2023
1: Mm -hmm. um so we had a new zelda game come out and did, did we yeah um I think it's called Tears of the Kingdom, but it should have been mm-hmm. called Breath of the Wild Expansion, was, Tears to is the it, Kingdom.
0: <laughs> Isn't <it> a news <laughs> on the game, Michael?
1: <laughs> yeah, so that that's the hot button topic. And you know, I've <laughs> I've been on and off with um with the game since it launched. Um I think I probably have close to like eighty to ninety hours in it, but a lot of that's like idle time where I'll press pause and like walk away from my system and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I want to talk about this for a second because like if I would willing I'd be willing to bet that like 80 to 90 percent of our audience has probably played this game. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah, I just, just in a few sentences, Tears of the Kingdom is a marvel that it works on the platform that it does. Agreed. On an underpowered underpowered platform, there is a billion things that you can do. The physics engine is absolutely flawless. Um, just a a remarkable improvement on Breath of the Wild in just about every way. Um, that being said, it is literally just an improvement on Breath of the Wild. Um,
0: yeah. Well, what I what I find a little bit disheartening about it is that it doesn't fix any of the problems that breath of the wild had and doubles down on a lot of stuff about breath of the wild that i didn't necessarily enjoy Mm -hmm. i'm not not even necessarily saying that to be like oh this game sucks it just means that like i don't know it's doing a lot of shit that isn't for me and is Mm -hmm. not generally things that i associate with the zelda game um you know i like you were saying i think it's a marvel that it works and um you know the the ultra hand ability, the the basically like, you know, physics mechanic is is a wonder. It really is phenomenal. Um I don't like it at all, but it's phenomenal. <laughs> like
1: Yeah, the game forces you to do a lot of um it says here you have this creative sandbox to to build things and do whatever you want to do to accomplish your goal. And the problem is I don't want to do those. It's yeah. not that I don't want to use the ultra hand I don't want to do what it's telling me I have to do, like mm-hmm. at all. I don't want to build. I don't want all like the side missions or creating some, finding some creative way to use these new abilities. And it's like, I don't, I never had this in another game. But the problem is, is that Breath of the Wild sold the most out of like any Zelda game ever. So they're going to stick to that. And they've said that this is the formula moving forward. So, um, yeah, I le- it's it's pretty disheartening, I um, to say the least. Not to say I'm not like absolutely loving Tears of the Kingdom. I just think there's room in the Nintendo community for another type of Zelda game. And
0: yeah,
1: like you can have your your 3D dungeon esque, uh, like I guess I guess the best way to say it would just be like linear Zelda games. You can have your 2D Zelda games or 3D, top-down, whatever, and you Mm. can have your open-world games, and they could exist in harmony without having to discount the idea of dungeons. So,
0: I think, and I know I say this a lot, but I think Metroid is a pretty good example of how to do this, where there should be a split, like we're seeing right now, between the Prime games and the mainline Metroid series. Wait, there are Prime games? (laughs) Cast your mind's back. (laughs) The year is 2006. You're still excited about owning a Nintendo Wii. <laughs> um, oh, man. But yeah, that's the kind of split that I think would, would benefit Zelda at this point, I think. And I understand that's selfish, because effectively what I'm saying is like, what if there was a game for literally 98% of the population who love it to death? And also a game for me, Max. Like... I'm- I don't know. I've I feel like that that uh, well.
1: Here's here's the thing. Think about it this way: um, people out there widely consider uh, the latest two D slash three D entry, top down entry, uh, link between worlds, to be one of the one of the better entries in the Zelda franchise, and I agree. It's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. But there's there's room for that. So. Yeah. And a lot of people would say, no, I don't want them to go away from making things like that. And I think there's just as an equally large mem- or number of the community that would say, oh my God, I love Breath of the Wild. I love Tears of the Kingdom. But I also love Ocarina of Time and Twilight Princess and think that, you know, the, the item-based dungeon mechanics that they have created are very much... Um, they have a place in the Zelda universe as opposed to everything being... You know, Link, at this point, essentially has relied on everyone else to, to get the job done. All of his abilities in this game are other people's abilities
0: that you well, utilize. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the main... Uh, you've, you've kind of hit on the crux of it, is that what I consider to be a Zelda game is like a slow accumulation of new ways to interact with the world around you. And in both Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom all those tools are given to you up front outside of like auto build um which is a a good improvement i think that that you have to kind of work for that ability but you know when you got a hook shot for the first time it was like you saw things in a whole new world you had to think Mm -hmm. about you know verticality um and different ways to traverse and there isn't any kind of like mid-game aha uh-huh, sort of moment like that in either Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom because it gives you everything up front.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and as much as I want to keep talking about this, so we, have a, we have a whole episode ahead of us, folks. So, That's true. <laughs> um, I do want to say the other big release that I've been sinking time into, um, Diablo 4. Man, it is oh, yeah. so it is so good. It feels so good to play. I know you've been playing it too.
0: Do you agree? Yeah. I so I was initially super skeptical because it takes a lot of cues from live service games. Like I wouldn't go I don't know, it is technically a live service always online game, but there's enough like uh mechanical like robustness. Um, mm-hmm. I I'm playing as a necromancer and learning how those mechanics like work. Um, and and putting together a build has been super gratifying.
1: Yeah, it is remarkably simple to grasp, mm-hmm. yet incredibly deep. Um, and finding that like perfect balance. One, I, I think that after the success of Diablo three, I think that they've they knew you had a really good framework going into and just such a, with such a drastic fan base wanting more depth in the, in the mechanics. It's like they took the the mechanical depth of two and put it into th- into four while yeah. keeping the simplistic, oh, you don't want to mess with the in-game meta. You know, cool, you can still play and have a really good time. And that's me. I don't have time to sit and look up builds and, you know, that (laughs) kind of thing. I just want to play. And it's like, oh, this one has a green number and this one has a red number. I'm going to slot the green one. (laughs) Like, that's me. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I'm the idiot.
0: (laughs) Shit like that kind of rules because, like, even if that's a mistake, it's not going to matter in 10 minutes, right? Because all that stuff (laughs) that you own will be gone anyway.
1: (laughs) My arm. Arm pump for the for the legendary that I got on a kill. It doesn't matter because in ten minutes I'll replace it with a common item that just has better stats.
0: Right. Uh, well, it gets me two, yeah, two plus damage. So <laughs> bye.
1: Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um. But yeah. So like, that's just scratching the surface of the of what's really been going on, you know, in the gaming community. I've been I went back to Dead Space. I've been slowly working myself up to playing through a uh an impossible run.
0: The no kill run or uh, no death run. No
1: death run, yeah. So um I actually started it and I'm in chapter three. I came oh, very shit. close to death uh once already. Um so a lot of people out there are saying like you it's like the death sequences are long. So if you pause and quit, mm. then you have the ability to get out sometimes before it like catches your death. Oh
0: if you just if you just alt F four.
1: <laughs> yeah essentially so um but no, I haven't. I haven't died yet. So we'll keep, we'll keep the, uh, keep the run going. And inevitably, whenever I die in the warhead room, I'm gonna be
0: really pissed off. So I was thinking, like, <laughs> my first death in that game was in I think it's chapter four. Whenever you turn the uh, the gravity generator back on, mm, yeah, um, <laughs> that would be so humiliating. I just ran the wrong way, <laughs> and like, I just got, I just.
1: <laughs> Pink <Pinkness>. mist. <laughs> yeah, there's that's a that's a big thing for this this run too. Like, because normally you're just like you're focused on what's ahead of you and trying to mm. like stay on the objective. Right. And playing it this way is entirely different. And it actually, I feel like it puts me more in the shoes of Isaac because I'm literally only focused on like what is around me I'm spending all my money on stasis so that way I can always be able to stop things as they get close to me and it's it just changes the way you play the game entirely it's really cool so
0: that's awesome
1: but that's my um, I, oh I played another game Max I played uh, this little game called uh, what remains of Edith Finch <laughs> Know, let's just in, pivot entirely and talk about that game, but the you, rest of the plans.
0: <laughs> you know what? After a after a two month absence, our transition game still fucking strong, still strong. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, there's always pain. Uh, there's always pain. That's my ending. All right. Um. So yeah, the game that we decided to cover this month was What Remains Beat Edith Finch. Um. This game is, it's its a weird one. Um, it is a walking sim and it's kind of, it's so heavily narrative based. Um, and this is the first time that you had played it, right? It is, it is.
1: Did I mean, you is, know much
0: about it going in?
1: I really didn't. The only thing that I really knew about this game were two things. Uh, one, it was uh, published by Annapurna and they right. have an incredible track record for the other games of theirs that I really like. Um it's always been on my radar. It was just one that I just never got around to. Um and I knew it was a narrative heavy game that was going to make me feel like shit. So
0: um yeah, so <laughs> And how did your experience in the in the uh in the playthrough? How did that match up with your expectations? So
1: um I played this game in About one sitting, like I had Mm -hmm. to, I had to get up and take care of something uh, for an hour or so, and came back and finished it up. But all in all, I think I put about two and a half, three hours into it and completed it. That's Um, why I the rest of the day I was emotionally devastated. I'll just say that Um, (laughs) there was there's there's a lot to swallow in this game. Like there's it's just like from the literally the the first steps you take in this game it's it's like a very intriguing mystery and mm-hmm. but like not a mystery because like as what i like most about this game and i know we'll we'll jump into it but like at the beginning of the game you are trying to figure out what's going on cuz there's a lot that Edith knows that mm-hmm. you don't and then as you go on, you slowly begin to you come to an intersecting point with Edith later on and we'll we'll eventually get there. But that the journey up to like the both the sides of the triangle before you hit the pinnacle with Edith is just remarkable. Like just so awesome. And uh I, I really liked it. I, I highly recommend this for everyone out yeah. there. And I guarantee you could find it like, if not free on some type of bundle, then you know, for sale for a few bucks.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is actually a pretty good point. Like, we've talked about this a lot. That any game that we cover on this show is uh, to be considered as a as an endorsement. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the few where I'd say, like, if you have any interest in this game at all, pause the episode right now and like, just play it. Just play it. We'll see you back here in two three hours. Like, because yeah. from here on out, we're gonna get into spoiler territory, and this is really something you should go into as blind as humanly possible.
1: Yeah. Um, you, you can't talk about this game and not spoil it. So like, just heads up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of true. So starting with the spoiler territory, just to lay the groundwork a little bit, what remains of immediate is about a, a young woman who is wandering through her childhood home and reliving the lives and deaths of her family members and through the course of that we get into some serious questions about intergenerational trauma uh superstition genius depression and um i think there's a little bit about unreliable narrators i think that like each one of these stories because they're told by um different people kind of forces you to see it through their eyes and that can color things to a certain extent it's a great Um, point that is a really good point it's something that I really noticed the second time around and really what that does is make me question like we're seeing this story you know in the same way that Edith reads these journals and sort of envisions like you know all of her different family members that's how we're seeing Edith's story too is through her son who's reading her journal which Mm -hmm. means that her interactions with the house are all kind of through her perspective um Mm -hmm. So was there a, out of all of these, was there a story that kind of like jumped out to you? Like a a family member sort of experience that was immediately like, oh shit. Um,
1: I think the one that, (laughs) I don't want to use the word hit me the hardest because it actually, because that's, (laughs) I thought about that and then it kind of, the pun is too strong. Um,
0: (laughs) I think I know where we're going here.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. I would need to look at the like the list um, of the of the names of the people. But essentially, the one that lived in the in the basement for thirty some years, um, Walter. That man, that got me good. Like yeah. the the symbolism in that story is is incredible. Um, but I did before we like jump into the. I just want to talk about like the beginning of this game. Oh, yeah. Like I just... (sighs) A game's first impressions really mean a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. because they obviously, you know, I'm stating the obvious, but they just set up the expectations for the remainder of of the game and how how you're going to experience things. And whenever it starts, like the gate closes behind you and like the world kind of fades in around you and you're standing in the middle of this like big forest and it's like it's quiet the wind's blowing you can hear the leaves crackling and then like words start like forming on uh different parts of the environment and it is like especially after knowing the ending of this of this little game it is just so incredible because you are connecting like i talked about this the the triangle is, like, the best way to talk about this game because, like, if there are three points in the triangle, one point being Edith, one point being the player, and one point being the child, they all connect at different points, and they all, as they move closer to one another, will move further away, but that the other one's moving closer to you, and it just it feels so strong. So I guess what I'm saying is the way that this game presents the literal narrative is such a telling love letter to the narrative itself um not just in the environments but how the words scroll in the environments how just how this game is okay with being silent a lot of games are not willing to do that and that was like one of the most striking elements of this game was this game uses the quiet to the narrative and the player or the narrator and the narratives uh advantage and it kind of tricked me at the at first because I was like, "Is there like a subtle horror element to this?" But I mean, there there there's a horror sub subplot, but yeah, it has nothing to do with it the subtle. main. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with what I'm what I'm talking about at all. It just makes the environment more rich. It makes you focus on just what's around you and and isolates you in a way that doesn't make you feel overly vulnerable it makes you feel like just vulnerable enough. And that's a really big um like compounding um plot point, I think they try to drive home.
0: I think that's absolutely true. And I'm glad you you brought that up. That feeling of uncanniness, I think, you know, in those first moments in the woods where you're not sure what kind of game this is. Um and as you approach the house, which has this crazy like silhouette um and it seems you know almost surreal um i think that expands even when you get inside um edith has this line early on where she says like the house was normal but there was just too much of it and i Mm -hmm. think that's a great way to describe it where it feels almost like a normal house but there's too much shit (laughs) it's you know everything is so packed and all the rooms are sort of weird
1: yeah um I'm realizing now that we're talking about this. I should have played this game again, and I d- literally just played it like within the week. Mm. Um, but like, this is this very much is a game that you should you should tackle twice. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, if not back to back, just to be able to to grasp the entire thing. But um, but yeah, the house itself is like it's such a foreboding, but also welcoming presence in the house, yeah. like. And I felt that way regardless of the narrative, just the Mm -hmm. way it's structured and all the weird, like tacked on rooms and just all the weird, just the weird stuff about it. But it very much like tells a story about the family, just by the way it stands. Um, And I think that's really, it's really powerful. And especially as you climb, you know, to literally climb to the roof in this game it gets more and more compelling and more and more disastrous as you go up, so.
0: Yeah, one of the things I think this game does an incredible job at is having a cast of characters that are super distinct and very well realized that you feel like you get to know really well despite them not having a lot of screen time or interacting with our player character at all. Mm. Um, And one of the ways that I think it does that is like, how well can you know a person just by going through their stuff, you know, and all of these different rooms have such a character to them that, you know, they really do help you understand the people that lived here. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a really, really good design. I I almost called it level design, which is not quite what it
1: is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's one of the. I know we'll get into to each of them, but one of the things mm-hmm. that I really connected with in this game, and I don't, I don't feel like this is something that, like, I felt like this was really personal to me. So I'll bring it up. Um, throughout like the entirety of me playing video games, I've always wondered what it would be like if someone was brave enough to shove like a bunch of different genres of game into one game, right? And while what remains of Edith Finch doesn't deviate too far from the, the core mechanic, even as it goes from like story to story, it mm. very much is a different style of game in each place. So what I have, as I was moving through each of these stories and experiencing them in just a different type of way, especially the one, um, of the one that works in the fish factory, Lewis, um, yeah. Lewis, especially that story. Like it just, I thought to myself like this is what I was looking for. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons this game hit me so hard was that not only did it do that, it did it well and it made it made me feel things that I don't normally feel when I'm playing games. So
0: Yeah. Um that that one in particular I think is worth the the price of admission to be honest. Yes. Like if you just play the the canning level of this it's
1: Yeah, cool. I I love that story because it it tackles like so many so many different things. It tackles family trauma, it tackles what it means to have an active imagination, it tackles being mm-hmm. both rewarded for your imagination, it tackles being put down for the, the your thoughts that you have. It tackles struggling with all of those things and just a lot of ways that Um, I think that up till really like a sacrifice that people don't want to bring to the, to the forefront in video games, um, or,
0: or aren't sure how to do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Um, you know, one of the things that I think is, I don't know. I feel like most people who would play this game can instantly relate to that particular experience. Um, Yep. If you can't, God bless, because you've lived a better life than I have. But <laughs> most, of, most of us, I think, have been in a position of having an undemanding, incredibly boring, repetitive job, and there's no like escape from it, other than just sit down and do it. Mm. Um, and that sort of play between, you know, I like the fact that um, you have to balance between the this this stupid motion with your right hand which doesn't have like any kind of rhythm to it so you can't even do like muscle memory you just kind of have to pay attention while you're playing out this big fantasy story I think it, I, know, I thought it was brilliant I thought that was I, so I, well
1: what, I, what I liked about that I, I agree 100 what I liked about it is that while it while there was no like definitive rhythm to it Mm-hmm. eventually you do get like just as mindless with it as Lewis is, and you're mm-hmm. just like flowing through it and like flicking these fish. And then you're like, I don't give a shit about this, like this whole world that I'm like being able to connect with Lewis in that way. And like, oh my God, like it was video games with massive AAA budgets cannot get me to give a shit about their protagonist in their game. And This little tiny narrative story like makes me care about these people that one aren't real and two like I'm with for like five minutes and I don't think Lewis
0: has a speaking line to be honest with you
1: he doesn't yeah it's all (laughs) oh man and I think I think the most gut wrenching part of the, the Lewis point was that at a certain point it starts to click with you what's coming and what's Mm -hmm. going to happen. And especially when you're like you, his in his imagination, when he gets to the end of his journey, you're just like, I don't want to walk up the stairs. Like I don't don't want to do it. And (laughs) it makes you wonder like if, because he was so entrenched in his reality, is that what he was thinking too? Did he know what the end was? but he and he was so invested in that reality that that was the way he had to finish his story that he had to tell i think and that's like it's <laughs> just so
0: cool to like sit and ponder these things yeah um, no i i it's a really good point i one of the things that i think is kind of a a through line throughout all these different stories is a lot of incredibly gifted and creative people that either don't have the outlet that they need or, or there's something lacking and and the pursuit of that is ultimately what like drives them ultimately to their untimely death. Mm -hmm. Um, if you've gotten this point to this point and you haven't played the game, each of these stories that Edith is reading from her past family members are Ultimately about how they die. Um, she's the last remaining member of her family. And so she's gone back through her childhood house to sort of uncover what happened to everybody else.
1: Um Yeah. I I think that's what I like most about this game is that it takes the idea of like the branching paths and the family tree and kind of interjects them into into one because while You're right. It does exactly what you're, what you're telling each story kind of Edith kind of uses that to represent a different portion of her life and her family. And as these stories are unraveling, she begins to tell her story too. And what happens with the house, because she doesn't tell you those things at the beginning, which is why what I was saying like earlier, you don't feel immediately connected to Edith, but as the stories unfold with her family and she tells you more of her story, you become mm-hmm. very curious as to what who's Edie like why don't you hear about her who's who is, who are you edith like what happened why did you leave because you said you haven't been back in so long like what and eventually the story gets around telling you those things and what i like most about it is while there are these like really deeply self-contained little stories they all help drive why Edith's, Edith's family did what they did. Um, and yeah. while that is very much like a core part of the narrative, it's just as much a like a subplot to the story that thinking back on it, you think about all these little individual events, you think about the implications of each of them and how it impacts the ultimate outcome of this game, but like I think it's really easy to forget that the core reason of Edith's, why she leaves the house is a very, is very important to the story. Um, and I don't, I think it's one of the more overlooked portions of this game.
0: Yeah, I think that's, uh, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it kind of just slowly unfolds over time, you know, as you said, you start out wondering, you know, who we are, what this is all about and slowly those pieces start to fall into place um i i remember being kind of annoyed with edith when we first started where i thought she just talked quite a lot um and wasn't letting me figure stuff out on my own um and as i understood like you know the frame story that we're this is her story on essentially, uh, you know, effectively like tagging along in it. Um, that started to make a lot more sense to me.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, that, and that's why I said like at the beginning, you get like that really strong sense of disconnect that, that triangle effect. And as you're moving up one side of it, you know, Edith is also moving up and you eventually, you know, come to that like pinnacle point in the, in that triangle. But, um, but yeah, it's. I, I did want to like while while we're talking about like the beginning still a little bit before we jump into some of these stories. Um, I mentioned before uh, we recorded, but I'll mention it here too. Um, when I played this game, I knew it was very narrative focused, and I wanted to start taking, started taking notes about the things that I was seeing. And as I started playing it, um, I realized that I was pausing a lot and. Um, stopping at places and looking at things like, in like a very investigative type (laughs) workflow. And Mm. it very much felt like I was working. uh, So I just stopped that. Um, But I did take some notes towards the beginning, which I think it's really interesting that like some of the things that I was able to to pick out. um, I, I have one of my notes here was like, there's a Edith mentions there's a dragon in the pond that killed Edie's husband. And it looks like a slide of some sort. And just like little, little tiny things like that, um, that when you come to find out like exactly what happens, Mm -hmm. um, my, my notes are riddled with like these little tiny things that like, uh, the, the missing posters for Milton that were all over the ground, the, the family tree and the pause menu that has like, it looks like a bunch of people died very young. And I was like, this is going to be a moving, like a Mm -hmm. moving game and there's a lot of like red herrings that the game throws at you like the Bigfoot posters on the wall like I was like maybe it is a horror game the silence in the forest like I was I just didn't know what to think and um, and I think that the game does that intentionally because you know while Edith knows that like she's not in any danger here Mm -hmm. the real crux of the story here is that Edith feels at all times that she's in danger. You know, there's this this thing that's, like, following her, and as I was moving, or I, I should say more like oppressing her, and as I was, I was moving through this game, there was, like, there was always something that I would read or see that, like, I didn't understand, and I would feel like, is this, like, a danger? Is this a threat? Like, what, it, what, event, what will be the eventual impact of this thing? And... I just like Edith does comes to find out more information, and it it loses some of its harm, and its uh, I guess the danger effect that it had, dangerous effect that like it had on me, um, and I thought that was just like another really cool way this game puts you in that in Edith's shoes as I was moving through it is is connecting with the story in a way that changes your opinion on things as Edith would have done that's
0: interesting and uh, once we get a little bit more into it i want to revisit that because um i told you when we started this one of the questions that i was interested in pursuing is um edith's great grandmother is convinced that there is a family curse that everybody in her family is just fated to die in tragic ways which bears out. That is, in fact, what happens. Um, and figuring out whether or not that is, the curse is real, is, is something I want to talk a little bit more about. Um, I'm glad that you brought up Sven was Edie's husband, who was quote-unquote killed by a dragon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of framing by Edie is a big part of, like, what the curse is like there is such a a pervasive almost celebration isn't quite the right word but like i don't know all of these deaths become like legends and we see that borne out in the way that they're told by the family members that they're like larger than life or these crazy surreal experiences that they have to be almost legendary rather than you know Tragic accidents. Mm. That's a really good point. And um, I think we, I mean, Molly is probably Molly is the first story that we walk through, and I think that's, I think it's a really good one to start with because it's probably the most surreal that we get. None of the other ones have a janky shark rolling down a hill. Um, I okay. I <laughs> we gotta. Uh,
1: this was such a strange moment for me because like so fucking I, weird. Throughout the, like, throughout the beginning of the game, like, it's like, you're right. It's like a walking SIM. You're learning a lot. You're connecting. And like, whenever this, this story takes place. Um, so Molly, what, like a 10, seven, 10 year old girl, very young. If that, um, yeah, is confined to her room after dinner. She says she's insatiably hungry, but she's not allowed to eat anything else. Uh, so Edith, Edith is in a room after discovering like these weird path passageways, I guess we should touch on that too. Um They decided that it, uh, Edith's mother decided that it was best to, I guess in a lot of ways, like seal off like yeah. the, the rooms. But also like, I think that's more of a metaphor than anything else is the we I mean, need to put what happened behind us and move on and just these people are not, uh, we can't let what happened to them affect us. We need to move on from it. So like each room in this house is like physically sealed closed. You cannot walk through the doors here and you can only get a small glimpse of what it was through this little eyeglass. And I think that that is just so interesting because while it is very literally how Edith grew up experiencing these members of her family, it also paints like a really good picture for her understanding of these events and allows you to connect with these stories with Edith at the same time. Um, Just a really strong way to present a narrative in a video game. Um, And it like rooted in a fear and rooted in a, a mental
0: illness um i really really like that i thought that was really good yeah um the first time you go into molly's room either says something like it was like walking behind a painting or walking into a painting you know which is ironic (laughs) yeah but (laughs) it's coming later (laughs) um that's a good point but it's sort of um you know like like you said it it takes this sort of what was an image or an idealized sort of memory of a person and all of a sudden makes it into something much more real. Um, so I, I agree. I really like that you can first see into the rooms through the people and understand that's Edith's entire understanding of that space and also the person that occupied it. Um, and then later on being able to walk in it and and read a little bit from the person who who lived there. And get to know them a little better i think that the way
1: that edith has to navigate the house um just in a lot of like under the wraps hidden passageways and very much like going around the game the way that game has you navigate the house it feels very much like you're breaking the rules quote unquote Hmm. um And I think that that's like really important that they drive it the way that they do is that while Edith grew up looking at these things through these other through these like portals, essentially like it's a painting, like you had mentioned when she finally gets to these things, it is literally on a journey of discovery and I think if they had it to where it was like, oh, she has like a knife and she pries her way into these rooms or something like that, which is very doable. Honestly, you could, it's just like a sealant. You could probably just cut through it or whatever. But the way that they have her navigate this house, I think is just as important as the rooms themselves. And it's her having to physically overcome these obstacles to get the information that she needs because there is to say such a strong reason as to why they don't want her to have to experience it, um, mm-hmm. or that she's so determined to, to find it, um, that she's willing to do whatever it takes to get to it. So the, the journey, it's just another example as I think the, the crux of this game is that the journey very much is part of the entire story, um,
0: the real trouble was the friends we made along the way.
1: <laughs> Listen, I will never forget. I, I have to like take a brief pause on this game. I know this is completely immersion-breaking, but uh, on the launch of Redfall, God forbid like that game ever comes out of its... How did we not talk about Redfall? <laughs> Probably because no one ever wants to talk about Redfall again. Uh, I played that game with Russ and Roger and Justin on, I think it was launch or like the day after launch or whatever. Um We played about two and a half hours of it and we jumped off and naturally we never went back to it. Naturally but none I, of I us ever talked again. <laughs> <laughs> um It was Russ that said, you know, guys, it was the real Redfall was the friends we made along the way. And that's really, that's really stuck with me. Not because it's true, but because... That was the only reason I had any fun at all right. that night was not the game. It was the conversations, but, um, but yeah, the, I think that I know I, I've already said it, but I think the journey through the house is a very important way to tell the story here. Uh, yeah. The self, the self discovery portion of it, while somewhat literal is just as much of a metaphor for how Edith has to come to the conclusion at the end of the game that we're trying to drive at ourselves.
0: I think that makes total sense. Like, very early on, we get a sense of, of how uh, Edith has navigated this house her entire life, which rooms are accessible and which ones aren't. Very early on, we're like, you know, entering rooms that we've never been into or breaking out of the window and climbing around trees into other places. Um, and, like, these experiencing or like moving through the house in a very different way because she needs to change her relationship to it and by extension her family mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah that's and, a good point so to, to, to jump back to Molly real quick um, so you Molly is the first sort of family member we read her diary she was sent to bed without any supper uh she eats a lot of shit that she shouldn't and then all of a sudden she becomes a cat and this is sort of the moment where <laughs> the narrative becomes surreal uh was was that like was that jarring in any way playing it for the first time well yeah it's well so,
1: <laughs> the game itself like has like a very serious tone mm-hmm. up to this point and it is like very much for the most part like grounded in reality um, and sets a pretty strong precedence for being grounded in reality right up front. Um, but then, like, <laughs> you turn into a cat and jump out a window. <laughs> like, um, no, I, I really... I like the creative, the li- li- literal creative leap here. Um, because we we have to remember whose diar- diary we're reading. You know, it's like, it. you can think about it in the sense of like, uh, I was just standing at this window and I turned into a cat and jumped out. That's lame. But like, as, especially with someone who has kids, like the imagination of a kid is just, it's absolutely bonkers wild. Um, and it's not something you ever want to take away from them. So being able to experience like multiple layers of this weird, like, story i guess you could call it was like really interesting um i probably wouldn't have eaten toothpaste beforehand might have been the hallucinogen that caused this this really weird story
0: or like some unidentified berries that are growing in our window (laughs) not a great call historically (laughs)
1: yeah yeah that was probably probably had a lot to do with it but like Mm -hmm. i think i think that's a precedence too that the game sets right up front is being able to link the at least with each story not not right up front but like with each story finding what is rooted in reality and what is not and what the reason for that may be um which is where probably the most of our speculation for each of these stories at least um realistic discussion will probably be rooted in but but yeah Um, uh, just to get back to like your original question um I, I thought the the creative decisions here were just remarkable. Mm. Um I like, as a dad of like a four year old, I like listening to Sloan tell me about like the magical adventures she went on in her dreams and like how mm-hmm. she wants to be a princess and like all this kind of stuff. And it's really cool. And like, this is, this felt very, very natural to me to, to like, like, Oh, I turned into a cat and then I chased a bird and I was really hungry and, um, and then as it goes on and then you turn into a bird and it was remarkably difficult to control that damn bird to catch <laughs> the rabbits. Yeah. Um, it got a little gruesome. It's pretty grotesque. And then it got really strange. We just randomly turn into a, a ragdolling shark and roll down a hill. <laughs> like I legitimately didn't know what to think like yeah. at that moment. Um, but then it turned into another frustrating bit of chasing your food hmm. and then it, lit, it just went got Lovecrafty and like in like a second so uh, yeah like it it was really it was weird like there's just no other way to say it it was really weird um
0: i think you, you bring up a good point though that there is kind of like an underlying reality to all these stories you know that you can probably suss out um One of the things that I really like about the design of Molly's room is that you can see, like, basically, like, all of the inspiration for this weird dream sequence around her room. Like, there's this big octopus toy that's sitting at the foot of her bed, and you're like, "Oh, fucking, that's where that came from."
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. There's some, like, it's clearly. Obviously, the game is rooted in a deep sense of reality um, and yeah like I said, you're you have to take the narratives or the narrator's word for a lot of things, but um, but yeah, thinking about like how insatiably hungry whenever a, ki- a kid is hungry, they don't do anything but let you know that they're hungry and they mm. never stop talking about it. and food is the only thing that's important to them. Um, yeah, so like it's it's interesting to see how they tackled this, how they force you to do the things that ultimately end up leading to that to be the last journal entry that she had. And that's kind of,
0: yeah. Um, I I, I said at the top that this game is about unreliable narrators. Um, And I think maybe that phrase gives a lot of heat that it shouldn't. Because an unreliable narrator isn't necessarily trying to trick you. Um, right. What they're trying to do is express their story as they envisioned it. Um, so when you see Molly, like you know, like you're talking about when kids are hungry, it's the only fucking thing they think about. Um, and through Molly's kind of expression of like oh, I was a cat and then I was a bird and then I was a shark, things that constantly just think about eating, getting more and more monstrous over time. Like it's not literally true, but it brings you into Molly's experience of what she was, what was happening with her, and much in in a much more realistic or kind of visceral sort of way, rather than just yeah. writing down. I was hungry eight thousand times.
1: Yeah, I had in my my notes. It was, it was instinctual mm-hmm. to to hit to her because, like, kids in their most basic sense, they don't know what. We think that they're like unintelligible, but like even a baby at the age of six months, it cries when it's uncomfortable. It cries when it's hungry. Like it, it knows exactly what it needs and kids just think like that. So it's interesting to find the, the primal needs, the, the most instinctual needs to be represented in a way that is that like deep carnal, like in its truest form, how we as adults would would see that like as a, a monster or something like that it, to it in a kid's mind that would be the natural how they would think about how like oh my goodness i'm so hungry i could i could eat a, a person i could eat mm-hmm. all of this like you know i don't you know so, like if i asked sloan if she wants a popsicle she's like oh my gosh i want 50. like that's just what the, that's what they think about and in, right. in her mind like she would want 50 of them so like it's just a natural I, I like how realistic the representation of the imagination of the, of the child is in this um mm-hmm. unfortunately it it did hurt <laughs> as as most of the stories in this game you know come to their conclusion realizing the reality of the situation is incredibly jarring and yeah. painful
0: mm-hmm. so uh
1: i guess the implications, some of them in this game are very, they're very on the nose. Molly's is almost right on the nose, but it is sort of left up to interpretation. The I guess the presumption being that she um, either, there's kind of two ways to take it. She either dove out the window and died, or she died from food poisoning from eating way too many things that were, which is the most likely.
0: I would say, um, yeah, because the, I, uh, I think that is poison. like almost kind of a misdirect. That you're supposed to think that she went out the window but also she wrote a fucking diary about what it felt like to be dying so
1: yeah yeah after <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> or what a, in a kid's way that yeah. felt like it was dying mm-hmm. um so yeah and that's initially like it does kind of do it like you said the unreliable narrator thing because it like she tells the story like mom said i had to go to i wasn't allowed to eat anything Mm -hmm. and is depriving me of food and like literally when i heard it i was like well that's kind of messed up like what (laughs) but like at no other point in the story do you are you made to think that like she's an abusive mother right like at all you just get the idea that and then you're like oh i'm reading a young kid's diary look at michael
0: siding with the parents (laughs)
1: oh man no that's a really no as a as, a as someone point. who's as someone whose daughter suffers from like blood sugar illnesses i uh unfortunately regardless of how evil she is cannot send her to bed without dinner that's or a- it could be remarked as child abuse so <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah um all in all just like a it this being like the first real encounter you have with any of the other characters stories in this game, uh a very (laughs) harrowing experience and like makes you like sit up in your seat and go, oh uh okay (laughs) like I should start really paying attention to what's going on. Like (laughs) but but yeah yeah that's that's Molly Finch.
0: That's Molly Finch. Um from there we move on to Barbara's and this is probably I don't think there's really necessarily a, a low point in Edith Finch. Um, Barbara's story, which is sort of a, a kind of, like, I don't know, 80s slasher-esque kind of, like... Uh, yes. Yeah. I. This
1: story was, like, as as crazy as this was represented and how it is absolutely not like a, a representation of the game as a whole, it very much is like, it is, it is, it is 100% in and hundred percent out at the same time. But like this story was like my all in moment. Like this was so like other stories resonated with me harder, but as far as like pure gameplay, Mm -hmm. like I loved this like this was so cool because it not only told the story in a new way, it like changed the graphics of the game. Mm -hmm. It like you moved to different, it like played like a comic book. It, It was like whenever you saw, uh, into the spider verse for the first time and you're like, they can do this with movies. I had that same exact reaction with like video games.
0: I'm so glad to hear. I was really worried about this just because like it is, they cheese it up a lot. Which, I mean, for the setting works really well. Um, but I, I could see people, like, bouncing off of this a little bit. If they don't understand like, you know, that it is kind of a... a there's a frame of reference here. You know? Um, yeah, for sure. One of the things that I was looking up trivia for this that uh, I thought was funny. Um, they actually they use music in this that's similar to, uh, John Carpenter's theme from Halloween. Oh yeah. Oh Um, yeah. (laughs) Because it is John Carpenter's theme from Halloween. Like they got permission from him to use it. (laughs) Okay. That's awesome. Well, I mean,
1: it's like, even I don't really care for Halloween movies. Like at all, I think Mike Myers is like, like a terrible movie villain. Mm. Um, but like, I loved this and it's immediately recognizable. Um, but Just to like give it give a frame of reference, I know we've kind of went down like our yeah. own little person, yeah. We got into this but, hard. <laughs> um, throughout when you're moving through the house, you'll see these like pictures of like Bigfoot and like movie posters and Barbara's names on them. But essentially, Barbara was a child star, um, who was as a kid was well known for horror movies and her iconic like horror movie, Final Girl Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, and As she got older, she lost her stardom and had to resort to, um, you know, she got depressed and was trying to get her constantly find her way back in. And she had to resort to comic cons and things like that, which this game makes them sound like a bad thing. And that kind of upsets me because I've been to so many cons. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like the frame of reference. So, um, when you get into her room, it is you walk into someone's room. That was very much tied to who they were and very much living in the past and could not get past that. Um, in every aspect of it, the room itself is literally almost like an extended hallway that mm-hmm. forces you as you're moving through it to live each one of those moments, like almost in a sequence, like a, a, uh, roll of film yeah, and I think that that's intentional as you're moving through it. Um, until it gets all the way to the end to, to the bed where it was kind of laid to rest. And that's where you find, uh, the information on, uh, not on the bed, but near the bed. So, but yeah, so that kind of gives us the frame of reference, but what I like most about the story is it has a, is it the, is it the comic book that tells the story? It is the comic book. Yeah. Okay. So you pick up this comic book and it has like this pumpkin head weird monster.
0: It's like as close as kinda, we can get to the Crypt Keeper Ke- without calling it the Crypt Keeper kind of deal.
1: Yeah, and it tells it tells essentially that exact story of Barbara, who is a child star. Um, and I, I'm assuming the implication here is that this was an actual book that was written.
0: Yeah, yep.
1: Um, kind of like a a biopic on her life told in a, a way that would honor her story in a a very weird, strange way. Yeah. But yet kind of victimized her in a lot of other ways too. So, um, I guess more emotionally victimized than actually victimized, but, um, so it it tells that story of a child star who was kind of left, left out in the dust. And then when she was older, her and her boyfriend were attacked in the night by an escaped, villain
0: they call him a hook man as if that's just but, an established thing you know how like occasionally there's hookman
1: <laughs> yeah i've seen uh i know what you did last summer <laughs> um but yeah so it's like a it tells the story and then there's and then it breaks away and lets you like play as mm-hmm. Barbara um and I'm a little fuzzy on like the specifics of the details but essentially you navigate the house and there's somebody quote unquote in the house and you go down into the basement, which is this part really got me. And then you like open the door and it's our boyfriend. And he's like, blah, and then yeah. jumps out and, and scares you. So um, you
0: beat the shit out of him with his own yeah. crutch because you're an ass.
1: I mean, rightfully so. He yeah, definitely man. deserves it. Um, But yeah, so, and then that's whenever things take a turn to the worst and you mm-hmm. find out that the hook man is in the house um barbara pushes him over the banister thinks that he's dead he's not um walter cannot be found anywhere who's the other kid that's in the house at the time um and then barbara hears a knock at the door goes to answer it and it's like all these monsters Mm -hmm. that come in and I guess congratulate her and tell her how good of a job she's done or give her some type of party and then proceed to brutalize her and murder
0: her. Evidently. yeah. Uh, this one's it, weird. It's a, it um, is very weird. <laughs> th- this one, I have a hard time figuring out exactly like what's the story underneath this kind of like hyper reality that we're being pitched here. And one of the mm-hmm. things that confuses it the most that I noticed on this most recent playthrough is um, if you go upstairs next to Molly's room, the banister's broken, right where like the hook man in the comic book went over the side of it. So like something did happen there. <laughs> um my
1: my take on it was that I think they lightly touch on it. Um but my take on it was that whoever this person there was someone that was obsessed with her and grew up with her, and that was her boyfriend. That person got so close to her mm. and was just obsessed with her because they also grew up watching her in the horror movies. They were more obsessed with who she was than who like, who her, she was in her past than who she is as a person that they were so... He was obsessed with helping her find her scream. Right. And whenever he finally got that out of her, he killed her. Um, and I think that that ultimately the reason I think that is not because it jives, it's because it fits with how they're presenting her story. It's that she was so obsessed with who she was that it ended as her demise. Uh, and ultimately who she was trying to be was what ended up killing her.
0: Yeah. That would, I mean, the
1: hook, the hook man was very real. Um, but her boyfriend used that as an excuse to try to, to get away with it. And Mm -hmm. ultimately he did get away with it. Yeah. Cause there did, there was someone that got out of prison.
0: That's fair. That's a good point. And I think that would fit kind of narratively because, you know, the whole idea, Barbara's trying to reclaim that fame and recognition that she had of a kid. And in a sick way, she gets that if there's somebody who's obsessed enough with her old career to get close to her and then kill her.
1: Right. And that's exactly my point, is that the the people that you see the Bigfoot, that Mm -hmm. it's very heavily uh telegraph that that was like her most her best thing it was like yeah. the bigfoot indicating that it was a monster or something like that that she was so connected to so her being the only person in her life that believed in her was also a monster and that person just like behind the scenes subtly grew and grew and grew on her but was feeding on the parts of her fear and her insecurity for her past and that ultimately ended up being the thing the monster the person that had always been there that she was going after ended up being so whenever she opened the door it was a monster that killed her it was her boyfriend and that's the reason that she was welcoming to it and it seemed like they were there to console her and congratulate her because she got her scream back and then that and then it killed
0: her i guess the real bigfoots were the boyfriends we made along the way i hate you <laughs> it felt real that didn't feel like a bit
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, Uh, Barbara's story like I said the gameplay wise was like I was having the most fun mm. I was like this is cool it was like upbeat fast paced interesting like really easy to connect with and just fun and scary yeah it's the most um, tense for sure for sure yeah um it definitely wasn't my all in narratively, but I guess this is, if any game is going to have like a point where we can break those two things up, it would be this game. I guess that's a good point. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's Barbara. Um, and if you're noticing, like we mentioned a few minutes ago, we've done two of these already. Um, there's a lot of people to cover, but only like five or six of them that have these like deep entrenched stories. Yeah. Um, And if you're noticing a theme here, it's that, like you mentioned before, all of their tales are heavily like put into legend Mm -hmm. um, and then made to look much more grandiose than they ultimately really were. Um, And so far with Molly, there's this transformative uh, journey that she goes on through these different stages of her hunger and then with Barbara, it's this whole a literal comic book like memorializing her her downfall. Um so yeah. Yeah. But in Barbara's story, there is the the Walter mm-hmm. that her brother that she tells to hide, and no one ever found him. Not just in the story, but like in this in real life, he went missing and no one found him for was it 30 years? Yeah. 30 years, he went missing. Um, so yeah, I guess that
0: would be the, the logical next place to go here. That's the next place to go. Um, you basically, one of the nice things about Barbara's is, is that that gameplay sequence where you are navigating the house um, as Barbara, you follow the same path as Evie, where you go down into the basement and to the fridge. Um, In Barbara's story, that's where her boyfriend's hiding. In Edith's, she finds in the basement fridge a false door, which leads down to this crazy bunker um, where Walter, Barbara's brother, had lived for 30 years just by himself. Um, So we find a note that's left behind by Walter, and that's kind of the transition into Walter's gameplay which is sparse. You're going to be opening a lot of cans as Walt, because that's basically all Walter does day in and day out is sit down, open a can of peaches, eat the can of peaches, and hear some crazy rumbling without chewing them without just in one (laughs) fucking mad lad. Uh, And listen to this crazy rumbling that he thinks is trying to kill him. That's just outside of his, uh, just outside of his bunker. Um, Eventually, as you go through Walter living the same day over and over again throughout decades, um, eventually he decides not to be ruled by that kind of fear anymore. Um, So he escapes the bunker and things go really well for him. Uh, He, uh, he escapes out to some train tracks and is almost instantly pulverized by the same rumbling that he's heard outside of his bunker day in and day out for years. It is it is such a small, like, two-minute sequence, maybe, that you play as Walter, but so deeply affecting, I think, for how ironic and sad it is, especially because this note that you're reading is left by him, um right before he
1: leaves it is this is the moment in the game that i just emotionally connected with like the hardest and it hit me for a lot of reasons um one the i think the main reason this really connects with me is because a lot of games are guilty of this is whenever a child is left all on their own and they go and move on to, like, the next phase of their life to where they're in the 30s or their 40s and they grew up by themselves. They have the temperament and the mentality of a 30- or 40-year-old at that point in time. Mm-hmm. What I love most about this is that it captures the sense that Walter, as a as a young 10-, 11-year-old boy, has been on his own since then. And the ideas of his childhood, the monsters that he thought were there... On the island at the same time rumbling to try to get him persisted as if in that state of where he had no sense of maturity outside of that primal need to survive that we've we talked about before um so one there's a little bit of consistency in the theming that you run across here but two it keeps the idea of that inner child alive and really cements the fact that he truly was alone and that regardless of all the books and all the things that he would spend his time on to fill these last 30 years he's still had like a deep deep fear um and i think one of the the cool things about this is that this was some just something i thought about it could just be completely like bs but it was just something that weighed heavily on me Everywhere in this house, there's like hundreds and hundreds of books mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, and presumably, even though in the game, they're, they're a lot of the same ones just because they're reusing assets. Right. But presumably, none of them would be the same. Um, so there's this many books just like sitting in this room. Presumably, he likely would have read all of them it leads you to think that there is nothing in this family's library that they mentioned so many times about making oneself better or maturing. And I think that shows a lot in how Walter never emotionally really matures in that time. Um, and it kind of plays into the story of like everyone's feeding into this idea of this family curse. No one really wanted to better themselves or push beyond their limits. Again, I'm, this is all speculation. I'm not saying this is a theme they're trying to get at, but the idea that he was trapped down here for so long and he was never able to pull a a larger sense of self over that 30 years, I feel like maybe it kind of tells the type of, um, more of the the underlying environment that all of these people grew up in over the years.
0: I think that's true. What what makes Walter's story, I think, particularly sad is that at the end he did want to better himself. That was, you know, that was yeah. his escape yeah. was to stop living the same day over and over again. Um, it, it's it's he's one of the few, I think in the story, that, like, a lot of these stories are brought about by some fatal flaw. You know, like, Barbara wanting to reclaim her childhood, or, or, um, uh, Edith's brother, uh, Louis, who wants to live in his own reality, um, and can't distinguish between his two anymore. But, Walter just wants to like start a life that that's his only flaw really. I guess like he's being punished for the amount of like how long it took him, I guess, to to decide to 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 start a life outside of the house.
1: I think I think what I took away from that the most is that he had he had spent so long contained in this reality but never had the he never had the chance to mature just due to the life that was put in front of him. And at the point in time that he had gained the emotional maturity or the, you know, the the courage to finally step outside of his comfort zone, albeit 30 years later, um, the weight of the world was there to meet him mm-hmm. once again. Um yeah. But it tells it tells a journey not of being swallowed by fear and self doubt, it tells the journey of acceptance and um, being able to meet things head on and face it, regardless of what the outcome is, which was li- quite literally his final words. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was like really, really powerful, um, especially, you know, it is it is extremely sad, this thing that he he feared every day for 30 years he finally meets out to face it and it instantly kills him. But it was just a, th- this, I guess what I'm trying to say is this story alone is one of the strongest indicators of the family curse being a facade. Um,
0: yeah. Because
1: it is, it is very much a, it. Te- like I said, it tells that story of someone finally be willing to face. And it was what they perceived as the monster that was coming to get them was something that, they just didn't understand and know enough about and then when you get to the end of the story it is literally about Edith documenting her journey to help the next generation understand so they don't have to go through the same thing mm-hmm. um and that's why i think the story resonated with me the most and i know i'm jumping a little a little too No the, but i think that's to good the end there.
0: um and i think yeah like the question of whether or not the curse is real, I think is difficult, because it does have an impact on the family. The belief in a curse has an impact on the family, and whether or not that is... Yeah. You know, it's not supernatural, I don't think, but it is kind of self-perpetuated, you know? The belief in the yeah. curse makes a curse of itself, that that people think they're sort of resigned to these kind of fates. Um, but yeah, I I really, really liked Walter's story, despite it being over very quickly.
1: Yeah. But there's there's a lot to cover here, so we'll we'll yeah. jump
0: on. We'll keep moving Walter's and... Walter's a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from Walters, we get into the twins. Twins are Sam and I'm blanking on the other kid's name. Um Sam's brother is the one who's obsessed with space and uh goes around on the the swing.
1: Um that's a really good question. I had a like a family tree pulled up here. Uh Sam and Calvin. Calvin
0: that's my guy. Yeah. Yeah, Calvin's is the next one we do. And Calvin's story is sad for sure. I mean they're all Sad. Most of them are about <laughs> kids dying. Um. Yeah. But really, I think the Calvin story I think was affecting for me because it clearly had an impact on Sam. And that's somebody that I think we get to know a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um so Sam is Edith's grandfather. Obviously, he's impacted by his twin brother dying at a very young age. Um And I think he kind of carries a lot of that guilt and sadness um, into his own life and how he raises his three kids, who also, spoiler, uh, mostly die prematurely.
1: (laughs) That's a weird thing for me to laugh at, but it is true. Um, I think what I like most about this story, if you look at Sam and Calvin, is that they go on to like tell the story of sam who's very very grounded Mm -hmm. in reality nature uh very focused on what's right in front of him um he was the military guy right yeah he went through the military and all that and calvin lived in a entirely different world but i think the best way to look at it is that they lived on in this world of discovery and exploration together as kids and because Calvin had his head in the clouds and was focused on space and um, wanting to be like an explorative and looking at the the supernatural all the time, his death is what caused Sam to veer hard right and pivot off that path and just be focused on everything else. Yeah. Um, because it was clearly too painful for him to come to terms with. He roped off the room entirely, um, never went back to it. It's literally untouched from whenever he was a kid, as you know most of the rooms are. Um, but it really it tells a story of like heart wrench and pain from another person's perspective because this is the first one where you get a secondary viewpoint on one of the deaths uh, that takes place. So
0: I don't yeah, I don't think that's a leap at all, really to see how much Galvin's death really impacted Sam. And I think this is a, a, like you're saying, it's a secondary perspective, because Sam's one of the few that makes it to adulthood. So we get to see the kind of person that Sam became, who has to carry a lot of this trauma. Um, Sam, I mean, uh, Sam himself is killed on a hunting trip with his daughter. And it's told in a series of photographs. Um, Which I thought was a... This is an impactful one. This is an interesting one in terms of of gameplay. Um, Uh,
1: This one hit me pretty hard because this... Sam dies at the age of 33 doing things with his daughter. Um, I am 33 and enjoy doing things with my daughter. So this was... Like, no lie, this was, (laughs) I don't hunt, I don't do anything like that, but like, it it was, it was really easy to connect with. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I like most about the story is like how deeply rooted, and I know we're pivoting onto Sam, you know, actual Sam's story here, but like how deeply rooted it was and like a, um, this feels like something that I could see happening every day, um. It, just an honest mistake, you know, that, you know, one of those things that wrapped up in that moment could be perceived as, you know, just another portion of the, of this curse. Um, but w- what really struck me about this story was that it wasn't, a lot of these stories have like some horrendous accident or some like fatal flaw. What hurts about this story was that he's so focused on what he's doing. If he had been by himself, then he probably wouldn't have made this mistake, mm. but he's so focused on enjoying his time with his daughter and ensuring that she has a good life that that distracts him and causes him to make a mistake that ends up leading to his death. And I think that that is really, really powerful. Um, especially like you said, being one of the few that makes it out of his childhood.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You see the kind of things that he's trying to do. In still and dawn, um, and you're right. He uh, he he sort of phrasing it as a, he makes a mistake that he wouldn't have made by himself. I think is a good way of um, explaining it. Um, well, it, I
1: I I obviously agree because that's what I <laughs> I said. But like <laughs> the. I, I guess I should preface it by saying that they do a lot of lead up to Sam talking about his past with his brother, how that emotionally impacted him, how he immediately got out and went to the military as soon as he could. How, uh, when he came back, he was very much like a, a nature man. He knew what he was doing. He felt like he had a purpose. He had a, he had a daughter. So prefacing it with the idea that he was so self-focused and was determined to get out and having a kid and furthering the family was so important to him. And it fundamentally changed everything about who he was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's, you know, when we come around to the final you know discussion about the the curse being real or not, I think it's very important to remember what decisions he made in his personal life that led from him being this this loner hating his not necessarily hating his family but wanting to get away from it and all the tragedy to potentially ending up contributing to it through the through the means of his daughter
0: yeah, and something that I think we're not we're sort of overlooking here um. And I am using this as a transition. Is that uh, <laughs> Calvin isn't the only loss in Sam's life? It's not even the most recent loss in Sam's life. Um, he's also lost his son uh, Gregory at one year old, which is uh, I'm not even sure how to like lead into this one because this this um, the the story of, of Gregory's death is done so artfully and i think so well that it is simultaneously um joyful and colorful and frantic um like just just incredible shit um
1: but before you jump into to gregory sure. i don't think we actually officially said it uh sam's brother was calvin and he died because he was swinging on the edge of a cliff right and was I, I just wanted to point out that he he died because his brother was pushing him to face his fears yeah. of heights. And I think that that contributes, I bring it up because that contributes to why Sam was who he was, why he wanted to get out of the way for the family. A lot of that probably had to do with that guilt that he was feeling for pushing his brother into you know ultimately causing his death.
0: I, I think that's true. So, the other thing is that Sam is the one who writes Calvin's eulogy, and he talks a lot about, like, when Calvin made his mind up to do something, he did it. And I think that's something that Sam clearly very much admires about um, Calvin and something that he's taken forward into, like, the kind of person he became as somebody who is decisive and takes action.
1: Yeah, I agree. But I, th- I just wanted
0: to touch on that really quick yeah, yeah. is
1: they're, they're very much hand in hand intentionally. So anyway, the Gregory... <laughs> This is, this is like a, this is really haunting, Yeah. like, because it, they take the most, probably the most horrific, like happening in terms of like the age of, of the death, which is one year old, mm. um, and make it probably like the most artful and musical and interesting. I don't want to say interesting because it definitely was not the most interesting, but like the most, uh, um, I, I wasn't
0: sitting there playing innocent. it and going, oh, this is interesting.
1: <laughs> it, it was the most innocent yeah. um thing but it, it, it you think about this in the way that we talked about Molly uh you're meeting the character where they are with uh in sense of what they may have you know been experiencing in that moment mm-hmm. um but ultimately um I, who was Greg's Gregory's mother
0: Gregory's mother was who, 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 what's her name um they divorced shortly after this. That's the lead-in for, for Gregory's story. Kay? Kay. Yes. Was it Kay? It was Kay.
1: Um, so Gregory is in a bathtub, and if you've not played this game yet, you really need to stop and play it <laughs> and come back. Um, but Gregory's in a bathtub, and... Right away, whenever I started playing as Gregory, I knew where this was going, and it made me physically ill. Like as I was continuing, because this is like this is like a parent's worst freaking nightmare, dude. Like that's most of these stories to be up. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're not wrong, but like yeah. as a so I, I'll say this: whenever you have a kid, um you're in the hospital, and I had I had the very un or the very fortunate uh, circumstance that my wife had kids before we were together. Mm. So when we had our child, she had been through this and I, but the, it was still very scary leaving the hospital less than 24 hours after my wife had given birth and they go, here's a newborn, keep it alive. (laughs) And I'm like, it's hard enough, like trying to like figure out like how to do that. I can't imagine as like a new couple having to, you know, to do these things, but like every single thing that you do, you're like, is this going to hurt this child? Is this, you have to constantly be thinking about the fact that this thing literally can't do anything by itself. So when they have a one-year-old sitting in a bathtub, I immediately am like, Oh, like why, why? Um, but yeah, so I like, the segment and I begrudgingly continued. And I think that they, and they obviously set it up and want you to know what you're getting in for, for this segment. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the reason there's a few reasons for this one, because it makes the narrative much more impactful, but two, there's a lot of people that, I mean, let's just be frank about it might have stopped playing it. If, if they had got to the end of it and were just like, Oh, I don't know if I'm okay with that. Right. Um, So, like, leading it very... Or signposting it pretty early on was probably a a pretty good uh, decision in terms of, like, how to put the game
0: together. If you've gotten to this point, you should should know what you're in for.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, But, yeah, so... The water slowly is rising in the bathtub and more of the toys fall off the walls and you're playing as this, like... Frog that you're quite literally like pushing down under the water and like making it go higher and knocking more toys into the tub. Um you, You're doing baby shit. Yeah, but naturally. Uh, I mean, or, you know, you me when I take my baths. Um But but the whole time there'll be like these, these segments where it like stops and the mom will come over and somebody is on the phone. And they're having a conversation that she clearly does not want to be having. Um, and she's very, very distracted, uh, which is (laughs) if you consider the outcome is probably the the best thing for her to be, hopefully that wouldn't be the outcome if she was not distracted. Um, but what I like about this segment is just how, like I said, the juxtaposition between how innocent and how awful, like it truly is, um, It almost turns into like this orchestra, uh, or some type of interpretive dance with like all of these toys. Yeah. Um,
0: it's a ballet.
1: And what, what I thought was the most haunting part of it is that there's like this subtle objective to try to knock your own name off the wall. And I really hated that because after like revisiting that sequence in my mind, I'm like the objective was to kill yourself. (laughs) Like in that, like it's an uncomfortable realization to have to come to with what the game is directing you to do in that moment. But I think we have to remember the game isn't wanting you to kill a child here. The game is telling you a story, but what ultimately what it's doing is it's, it's creating a sense of, continuity with edith and the story and forcing you to be uncomfortable with the horrific things that edith is also experiencing in that moment it's very crucial to remember that while you're playing these things it's not about making you lament the death of this child and the fact that you played it in the game it's edith is reading this and experiencing it like this as you are too Um, yeah however what I think is important in this, I think this sequence is probably the most unimmersive portion of the game, because you have this story that Edith is putting together from the the no, the uh, divorce note, essentially that's left between Kay and uh, Sam. Is it? Yeah. Yep. Um, reading this divorce note. And I, I fail to see how this story like is the other ones have, you have a very clear connection with how Edith draws that conclusion, but this one just feels a little far out to me. It feels like they could have maybe done a little bit of something different just with how creative they are to be able to tell the, the story of the, of the death, as opposed to putting you in the one-year-old shoes it just didn't feel like that would be how Edith would try to remember the story.
0: I see what you're saying. And I guess that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, there's a couple of ways you could do it. it. Keeping with the rule that like you have to play as the perspective of the person who whose death you're experiencing. Um You know what we talked about earlier with Molly's story about the um unrelatable narrator, not necessarily being a liar, but like Their experience of it kind of telling you things about their experience that you can't get with like an objective narrative. Um, Gregory's story, I think, shows how far removed those two stories can be. The actual, like, account of what happened is horrifying. Like, a child dies in a bathtub. Gregory's experience of it, very different. Gregory's experience is musical and light and fun. Like, it, it that's really where the tragedy comes in, right? is, is how far between his experience and what actually happened actually are. Hmm. Um, so I thought it was effective for that, but you're right. I think there are, in terms of immersion, there are other things they could have done here.
1: Yeah, and I I don't say that to like critique the game in any way. Like I, I think this was very fitting and very telling um, f- for this for this segment of the story. It just like uh, for every for everyone else, when you're experiencing the story through their eyes, it makes sense to pick up what she picked up or see what she saw and kind of relieve sure. it in that way. It just I didn't feel like there was a great way for Edith to tap into that while she was reading a note. From, yeah um uh, from Sam now I mean the note did go on to say things like how he was very imaginative and creative and just fun mm-hmm. and 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 maybe that obviously that's where they're pulling that from but um I'm in mean, no mm-hmm. way that when I say that like I'm critiquing it, you know I'm looking at something that's a nine out of ten and not being you know no look, I,
0: <laughs> but I see what you're saying because the note isn't really describing like I mean, this is their divorce papers, is what she's reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's not reading Gregory's experience in that moment. <laughs> what she's reading about, and like, is is Sam's, like the the sort of narration that we get throughout Gregory's story. It's about how Sam feels about Gregory's death. Um, yeah. For which sure. Which may be like that kind of uh, disconnection that you're feeling between the two, which I think is absolutely fair.
1: Yeah, yeah, but but I mean that I don't think that like I felt that way during the game though. The game keeps you Mm -hmm. pretty sucked in. Like it was definitely wasn't something that I was playing it and I was like, "Well, that felt dumb" or anything like that. It was that was like thinking about it later on. um, I Mm -hmm. came to that conclusion. So don't don't let that dissuade you if you're thinking about playing this. But uh, definitely,
0: definitely gut wrenching. Um, Yeah. Um, these next two I want to cover, like, somewhat quickly. There isn't a ton to these next two. Um, the first one is Gus, who is, uh, Sam's other son, Gregory's brother. Uh, Gus dies at Sam's, uh, wedding. He's flying a kite, and, uh, (laughs) there's a giant storm, and the storm somehow kills him it's left somewhat ambiguous um i correct me if i'm wrong or or correct like feel free to disagree with me here but i i didn't feel like gus was given a whole bunch of screen time like i didn't feel a lot of pull here
1: yeah um it was it was relatively difficult to connect with this one but i think there's a reason for this um His story is told via a poem, um, uh-huh. and this is another one of those those times where the the impact comes more in the uh, the gameplay itself uh, than actually what's being told. But through the you have two ways of experiencing things in this game. Edith is picking up something and reading a perspective of a character, and this one she's picking up something. In reading that person's interpretation of additional events, very similar to how Gregory did this. Mm. So whenever she's reading this poem, she's reading about something. She's reading an interpretation of events from a person through the eyes of someone else. So like there's there's multiple layers that Edith is having to like really dig through here, and that's why I, I think it's intentional that you don't connect as as much with this um, as other ones. It's not to say it's not as impactful, but it's mm-hmm. uh, I think this is the story is very much a victim of the gameplay itself. Um,
0: yeah. So that's a good point. Is that this is an interpretive work because it's a poem, you know, about a secondhand account, <laughs> and then you're playing as as. A sort of dramatit- or dramatized events. That's interesting.
1: But yeah, there's, you're right though. There's not a lot to it. You get that Gus is like, he's pretty edgy, you know, for a 13 year old uh, He's the fucking kid. kid. Yeah. He's got, he's got the Mohawk. He, you, you flip your, mm-hmm. uh you flip your dad off when he tells you what to do. Like he's not happy about the family growing, you know, that, that typical, like uh, the punk rocker kind of, kind of mm-hmm. vibe um that you know he's throwing up his mohawk and throwing middle fingers and then flying his kite yeah that makes a lot of sense <laughs>
0: uh <laughs> for like a 12 year old that actually does make a lot of that
1: scans. <laughs> that that's fair i guess so um yeah. but yeah so like you're flying your kite in the storm rebelliously over top the entire wedding and you kind of have to dash out like the words which i thought was i thought that was interesting because it was almost like in that moment you're rebelling against like the narrative, which is like the attitude of a typical 13 year old boy, especially Mm -hmm. one that is trying to actively be a rebel, um, you know, fight the establishment. Um, But I think it does a good job of capturing that, but essentially like what you end up doing to the puzzle with the kite, it kind of like thematically flows into, you know, being what ends up being his downfall. He picks up the entire storm and, dashes all the equipment in the tent onto him essentially killing him so Mm -hmm. um i think you're right though there's not a lot of weight to this one it doesn't it doesn't feel as impactful and it feels like you walk past it and you're like oh look a poem neat i'm gonna go upstairs now
0: (laughs) right yeah yeah effectively (laughs) the the only thing that maybe it does is in the same way that um gregory's story gets you more insight into sam um the story for Gus is written by Dawn, uh, which is uh, Edith's mom, and gets you a little bit more insight into where she's coming from. And yeah, that's fair. I think that's a good like segue into um, Edith or uh, Dawn has three kids of her own, and those are the last three stories that we kind of like round out. Um, She has two sons, um, Milton and Lewis, and then Edith. Milton's story is another very, very quick one. Um, Milton is an artist. His story is told primarily through a flip book. Um, There is no narration to it, and it is pretty, pretty ambiguous and pretty strange. It's a story about a kid who basically one of his paintings comes to life and gives him a paintbrush in order to, that enables him to walk into a painting, which he does, bows, and disappears. And that's it. That is curtains on Milton. And it's weird because we never get confirmation about what happens to him. He's presumed dead because, you know, all the finches are dead. Um, but we don't really know what
1: happened to him at least
0: not in this game
1: um (laughs) yeah you caught on to what i was gonna say fucking dick (laughs) um no but i i really like that because i i will wait to we'll get back to milton at Mm. at the end because i think that there's, there's a there's some stuff to cover here but um one thing I wanted to to talk about really quickly is we've we get up to up until this point we have been in like the core of the house. Right. And it's kind of like you're in the main structure and you kind of forgotten that this house is like this foreboding, strangely weird structure that just feels like kind of tacked on. And it what I really think is is important here is that the house itself is like a self-contained little unit, I guess you could say. And then as it goes on, it gets more hodgepodge and things are just like tacked on. There's a fucking boat that's like stuck into the side of the house and that's <laughs> one of the rooms and like, and it goes up from there and gets stra- more and more strange. Um, the house itself is very, very, is, a, is very structured similarly to how the family tree is structured. Uh, growing and kind of compounding on itself as it as it goes all the way to the top, as the way the, the stories kind of tell themselves. So there's a lot of like uh, compounding narrative elements there too. Um, but I like how the house goes from being like a normal house and it gets more and more strange as it goes on, um, yeah. as do the stories and the creativity and the depth of what, the game is trying to convey. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like as a, as the stories stray from being traditional, as does the house. And I think that's very, um, is a very strong uh, way to tell the story.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And so you're, we come to understand that the top floor of the house is a new addition that was um, added on once Dawn and her family moved back into the house after Edith's dad dies. So you can kind of see, like, how the, as you move up through the house, you can see how it's changed over time. You know, that's another thing that I really like about this game is that each of these stories are sort of set in a particular time period and it really feels that way. And the house does become more quote unquote modern as, as you move up towards the, uh, the top of it. Let's do these stories. Yeah, for sure. Um, um,
1: anything
0: else about Milton before we move to Lewis? Uh, the only thing I want
1: to say about Milton is that what I liked most and I, I immediately saw it and was like, interesting. Um, obviously he was a painter and there's a lot of like paintings all over the place, but there's a huge painting of like a, a door Uh, with like a golden handle, um, that is referenced in his flip book of him disappearing. Um, and this is the fact that he's never found is like, it's really, it's really cool. I think because it gives you the, the whole game up to this point has been like, there's been a lot of crazy stuff, but for the most part, it's been grounded in a deep, horrific reality. Um, but Milton's, the way that Milton's story is presented, while there is quote-unquote more to it, you know, I mean, it's outside the bounds of this narrative, are deeply, like, troubling for the overall sense of, like, the Finch ancestry. Uh, but, well, again, we'll get on, on that, too. I wanted to talk about that painting, because, like, I saw it, and it was it was really jolting and like really sets the first thing you really see whenever you get into his room and it really sets the tone for what you, what you really think about Milton as you get his Mm -hmm. story uncovered. So.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really impressive just from like a, a mechanical quote unquote, you know, a mechanic um, is that when you flip through his flip book, it's not just like a canned animation. Um you can stop and literally go like frame by frame where each one of those like little images you can you can pick out, which I they didn't have to do that, but it adds to, you know, this sort of immersion. Um it shows that when they say Milton is an artist, I think they take it seriously.
1: Yeah, I, that's a good point. I hadn't considered that. And there's there's a lot of, of scenes where you're like you'll make a movement, but like the, the way that Edith's hands function in this game are for being like just really small movements of the mouse. It's very Mm. like well put together and allows you to have a lot of creativity and how you experience each of these stories. So um, if you, if you go to revisit this game or you're going to go to it for the first time up to this point, definitely keep that in mind is that, you know, the turning mechanics or the page flips or like whenever you're pushing flipping pages or things like that you have a lot of creative uh freedom and how you can ha- make edith interact with different objects just from a gameplay perspective is really is really cool and instead of like any other you press a to enter room like push open the door you have the ability to like take that breath before you like go to mm-hmm. the next go to the next thing so that's
0: a good po- one of the things that this is a good time to bring this up um some of the ways that we learn about edith herself are through her actions and what we can actually physically see about like her movements and things because she doesn't actually talk a lot about herself or her own lived experience until basically like the last few minutes of this game right mm-hmm. um but even like you know how she chooses to dress like she's got these quirky kind of like fingerless like look like handed gloves um or even like if you tilt the camera down at some point, you can see that Edith is pregnant way before she actually <laughs> says it.
1: <laughs> I am so I, I'm so embarrassed to say this. Like when I was playing this game, I had I'm I always check when I'm playing games if I can see like like right yeah. away. I look no, down and I'm like, say. can I can I see my feet when I'm moving? I look down <laughs> and like I had, I still was at the point where I didn't know what I was in for with this game. Mm-hmm. And Brittany was standing behind me, and I like I looked down, and she's like, "What are you doing?" And I was like. My character is kind of pudgy <laughs> and I was like, I felt ashamed in that moment. And I was like, it's, it's a game who cares. And then later on, when you find out that Edith is pregnant and that's the reason she's revisiting this is to catalog oh, no. the story for her son. I was like, Oh, that's why. And it's cool to like, see those things and have those thoughts and then have those realizations. Because if I hadn't have looked, I would have been like, Oh, but like, yeah, see, seeing the clues before their clues is cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like one of the things that I think this game benefits from being an interactive media for, you know, as opposed to just being like a movie or a book where these stories would still be impactful, but I don't think nearly as engrossing mm-hmm. is that kind of ability to like pick up on pieces, like clues before their clues, like you were saying, is like gathering a lot of data that the game doesn't necessarily signpost for you. But if you're curious and looking around, you can start to put it together. Yeah, um, yeah. agreed. So we move into from uh, from Milton's room into the crazy boat room. And we've kind of tipped our hand on this one a little bit. But Lewis's story is, well, holy, holy fucking shit. <laughs> I think this is, this is probably
1: like uh one of the the most intense. Um and I I think the reason is just because we're uh, you have to remember the timelines that we're moving through. Like up to this point we're dealing with um you know things that happened in the 40s, the 50s, like we're getting into like very modern times right now. So Lewis died at in 2010, was it? Yeah, 2010 was when his death was. So the story while a lot of these things there's uh different factors there's divorce things that we all deal with on a daily basis what's interesting i think about um lewis's story is that since we're in a modern age there's a lot more things for us to connect to and Mm -hmm. it starts to have the implementation of things like modern medicine and therapy and uh the self-actualization and realization of like a potential mental illness the need for those types of things um And, you know, whether you agree with any of that or not, is what I love about this is that doesn't push any of those things on you. It focuses on the fact that there's someone remembering the bounds of the game that is dealing with the idea that he's just so unsatisfied with his life or not that he has created a reality for himself that he would rather live in as opposed to his own. Um, Yeah. And I think what, kind of like what we experience with Walter, the day in, day out, um, mundane of the story yeah. really contributes to the ability to get grossly entrenched in that. Um, but the best part about the storytelling here is, is that that's given to you up front and it doesn't focus on the fact of the, the everyday, the story focuses on. The what's going on inside of his
0: head. Um, Yeah, there's this really sort of beautiful mechanic, um, where as um, Lewis's fantasies become more and more prevalent. um, What starts out as sort of like you know this tiny little part of the screen in the corner, as you have to focus on this like mundane job that you're doing, grows and grows until it's taking up half the screen is just his daydream. And then it takes over more and more until, you know, what you're actually doing, like the reality of, of, um, Lewis's life is just kind of in the background. You can just barely see it through this sort of, um, fantasy that he's constructed. I think that was done just incredibly well.
1: Uh, yeah. Like, and that's that's the thing about Lewis's story is like, the way that it's presented is so well done and it's art. It's arguably one of the most memorable moments of this game. Um, but it just scratches the surface of the depth of like what, like the story of Lewis's and, um, I love that his, his story is like such a timepiece. I love that his story deals with like very real issues, but what I love most about it is that it's. In the age that the three of them, Edith and, um, their mother, Dawn, um, Lewis, and was it Milton, Milton were all in is like I mentioned, it's like in this modern age of technology and medicine and, you know, the, the drive to be something more than you really are and to make an impact is never stronger than it is in today's day and age. Um, regardless of what, what the push is. So the fact that someone feels so self-confined in what they're doing and it causes this, this disconnect with reality and they're forced to present it in a way that, well, he's got maybe the way to make him better is to reassure him and affirm him and let him go through this. Um, we, as the players at this point know that all the characters are struggling with how to deal with the fact that they're butting up against this quote-unquote family curse. And it really is just a battle for survival and living as long as they can. Um, what I think the game doesn't do here, um, and I think it's intentional, and I think it's it's wonderful that they don't, is let the let either Edith or the therapist in which she's reading through the eyes discuss the fact that what potentially could be taking place here is that Lewis, Lewis's life is controlled by, he wants to have control of his own destiny and he's created his own reality in order to do so. And if there was going to be something that was going to take his own life, he wanted it to be at his own, his, his, his own will, in his own time, and in his own reality. And ultimately, at the point in time that that happens, you surrender control of this mundane task Mm -hmm. to the total reality, which ends up being his downfall. And the family looks at it as this, like, really sad and morose thing, but at the whole time, there is is a build-up in the story of Lewis. It is constantly getting better for himself. It is, he's not going to kingdoms and failing to conquer them. He is building and growing and becoming stronger and more connected until he receives the ultimate gift of what he was trying to accomplish. Now, I don't think suicide is a great thing, but I think that this, this story is more about being in control of your own destiny than it is about someone
0: who killed themselves. Uh, Yeah. I think that's a good way to look at it because I think that's saying just it's about suicide. I think it's fairly, it's kind of reductive because mm-hmm. um, you're right. That's the Lewis is, there are so many different <laughs> kind of forces that are acting on him. Um, one of the things that I think kind of hints at this when, when um, Edith goes into his room, He talks a lot about their father was Indian, and he says he was very proud to be Indian because it means he was more than just a finch. And I think that shows him kind of butting up against, like, there is a preconceived expectation of what it means to be a finch, um, most of which is defined by that curse. He's in a job where, like, he doesn't have any sort of outlet and all of these things are controlled for him. Um, So, yeah, he, he falls back into fantasy. He constructs a reality that he is, um, you know, both God and King in, um, and, and it and hero like, I think that's important. Yeah. He's God yeah. and King
1: in a good way. Like he's the hero. Right. Yeah.
0: He is a, he is a, 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 heroic figure, um, and ultimately makes the choice that that reality is more real to him than, than what's surrounding them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, obviously it's tragic. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was, I was
1: just going to ask a question really quick about like, mostly because I don't have a really good answer myself, but like, what do you think the reasoning was for the branching decisions you could make on, on Lewis's journey? And there's only like two or three of them, but I thought they were quite interesting. There was like the beautiful prince or the handsome queen, mm-hmm. um, and there, there was another one, but they're like they're conf- they're non stereotypical conjoined adjective nouns, like that. yeah. Um, and I thought I thought that was interesting, and I couldn't put my finger like other than like he's trying to be unique and interesting, and it's his own mind and creation. But like, was there a deeper meaning to to one having the ability to choose there, and two how those choices were constructed?
0: Yeah. Well, I think you. You've touched on him a little bit, I think. Um, part of it is that um, Lewis craves choice, like the ability to decide for himself, um, which is not something that he's been presented with, it feels like, at, at any point in his life. So getting to make those kind of decisions or seeing that, you know, I think a lot of them come for, like, as you're going down a river, and I think that might be a way in how he envisions it in like, his life should be a whole lot of branching paths in a way that it hasn't been. Um, in, in terms of like the constructions, you know, I think there is like some creative Liberty there. I, I um, that's interesting. I'd have to sit with that a little bit to, yeah. to really like piece together, but that is interesting. That is something that I clocked, but uh, I I, yeah I'm with you. I don't have a good um, interpretation for it.
1: Yeah, Um, and what and like I said, I had I had mulled over it a good bit, and you know just trying to figure out because it it wasn't that it felt out of place. It was just like there were like two quick decisions that you make, and it was like I don't understand why that was like even an option to choose. Did it because it didn't change anything like. I looked it up. There was no different differentiating Mm -hmm. paths you take that change, like really the ultimate outcome. But, um, like you said, it could ultimately just be him striving to control whatever he can control in his own world and not having to conform to any traditional methodologies, naming conventions, uh, how things are structured in his world. And that's why they were like, uh, just a little different and actually just kind of backwards and how it was how it was framed so who knows like regardless like it was it was beautiful it was almost like an rts except without any of the boring world building mechanics um or troop building mechanics just on that overhead like top down Mm -hmm. structure and that's kind of this is one of those another example of like i talked about at the beginning like having so many different types of 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 uh Worlds and narratives and stuff all jammed in one little game is about this is it's just really cool to be a part of and um yeah um what I did want to we talked a little bit about like what the ending for him means but what I thought was most interesting is whenever I was doing my own research on what people had thought about the game I took note of this one because the overwhelming consensus here is that Lewis accidentally kills himself I, and yeah it doesn't doesn't specifically said it. it says the game implies that he accidentally decapitates himself with the fish d header i don't think the game implies that at all i don't <laughs> think
0: yeah no not at all i don't <laughs> okay. think that's in the narrative i think that's pretty clearly this is this is a suicide pretty yeah. decidedly um I, it would be hard to, I mean, you, as Lewis is imagining, you can see his workstation and how it's set up. It would be difficult to accidentally just legitimately stick your head underneath. Yeah, Um, for sure. (laughs) And I think that would also wipe away a lot of Lewis's character and his agency. Um, This is a decision he makes. Like I, I, I would argue pretty strongly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that, I mean, that's it's pretty signposted by the narrative and and maybe what they mean is like they had chalked it up to a suicide or something like that or a um accidental an accident. suicide but like i don't even remember that in the game i remember it just pretty blatantly being like he he committed suicide um
0: yeah the only way you could interpret it as it, as an accident and this is stretching the definition of accident is if you think that Lewis is so engrossed in this fantasy world that he's created for himself, that he physically, like he actually doesn't realize what he's doing. um, Which I think would be, I don't know. I think I, it's I think that's,
1: like you mentioned before. I think that's reductive because he's, yeah. clear. it's signposts pretty, it's pretty clearly by the fact that he's bringing food home from his family, from the cannery. He's, mm actively still looking out for other people he's doing his job every day they said he's a model employee they never had issues with him like i think he's his faculties are all there he just would rather live in this world than the real one
0: i Um, agree with that completely
1: um one thing i will say and again this is something i took note of i completely misread uh, I thought it said 1998 to 2010. Whenever I first saw his his age, so I was <laughs> like, "This kid is 12 years, 12 years old working years old, in a factory. Working in a He's smoking pot all the time. Like what kind of like? They're just letting kids out there just rip bongs and go work at the cannery with like these guillotines. Like shit. And then like literally, it wasn't until after. Like, they showed, like, the side of his face, and he had, like, a little mustache and stuff. I was like, holy crap, this kid has developed. And then I looked in the book, and I was like, oh, 22, not 12. Okay, okay. Like, this makes so much more sense. Yeah, Um, you didn't
0: have a factory job in fourth grade?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Must be nice.
0: Must be nice.
1: (laughs) I going to say, I don't, I don't know if that joke is, uh,
0: <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of
1: people out there that might hear that and be like, oh man, <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, so that's, that's Lewis, um, arguably like the most beautifully told. I think, I think Walter so. like hit me the hardest, like emotionally, but I think Lewis was like wonderfully told, very succinct, heart wrenching, brutal, like.
0: This is the most immersive too. This is where, like, I think the, the, um, what you're actually doing, the physical, like, actions that you go through most kind of evoke what Lewis is feeling or what he's experiencing. You know, that kind of very repetitive, stupid motion of just crossing your hand left to right, left to right, left to right. And with the other side of your brain, you know, daydreaming um i thought that 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 was just a really just brilliant way to tell that story
1: yeah i I think it it works so well for two reasons one because edith has a connection to the story like Mm -hmm. firsthand yeah um and so there's a lot there's a lot for her to connect to a lot for uh, pieces of the puzzle already there and the other side of it is you're getting this modern medicinal therapist viewpoint. So not only is Edith able to look at, look at it from her standpoint and tell the story, but also through the standpoint of someone that's living inside of Lewis's head as well. So there's, this is not only just one of the most succinct and precise stories as far, and most in-depth stories in the game. But it's also that way for the reasons that there's a lot of connections that you're able to make to it, just narratively, um, mm-hmm. as Edith. So,
0: yeah, and I think telling all these stories from like the beginning, from Molly's story all the way up through these generations, I think Lewis hits so hard because you understand like the weight of all of this kind of history that's behind her you know where all of these stories get more and more impactful as you go on because there's this culmination of history um that if you just played Lewis's section on his own it would still hit pretty hard but you wouldn't have as full a picture of of who this kid is yeah for sure one, um, one room up <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's almost everybody the um The last one is
1: Edith. Yeah, I I love this. I love this because this is what I was talking about earlier, how the game does like, it tells other people's stories through other people.
0: mm -hmm. And
1: when Edith Edith sits down on this bed and puts her feet up and she reveals like probably right before Lewis's story that she was pregnant and she just kind of relaxes. It takes the time to tell Dawn's story, what happened to her mom. It takes the time to tell the story of why they left the house. Uh, mm-hmm. The relationship with with her and Edie is like heavily expounded on. Um, and you get this, there's a lot of pieces that are connected in this, in this few minutes before you even get to what actually is going on with Edith. Um, and that's yeah. primarily how Edith's story is told is, you know, why they finally left the house and what happened to her mom who died of a mysterious illness, what they 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 sign post to cancer, but they don't specifically say. Right. Um they don't really give a definitive answer of what happens to Edie either. Um old age, suicide, they just kind of Yeah.
0: You know, All we know is that um when they leave the house, Edie is gone by the next day is I think the only like indication that we get there. Yeah. Um, Which could be
1: there's so i read i read a theory and i won't take credit for it i i'm not taking credit for it, but i don't know who said it i read online that there's a lot of um they had mentioned that ed spent a lot of time said so i think it was whenever you're up near the graveyards and you look out at the house it had mentioned that um, ed said that she had looked out over and saw the house every day mm-hmm. um and while the game doesn't give you any indication that this is actually what happened, a lot of people think that she went to the house and tried to go and just died in the ocean with with the house and um, essentially essentially being part of what it is. It, it's pure speculation. Sure. but it's as good of a if it's as good of an ending as you know we we get from her and any other capacity. So,
0: well, the small section that we play as Feedy is her walking out to the old house at low tide which is the only story that is, like, fully complete. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. One of the things that I saw, again, I don't remember who said it, but also read it on the internet. Um, Because, like, when you're reading E's story, um, because you're experiencing it as Edith, like her recollection of it, um, when she's interrupted and her mom grabs the book from her, the words on the page just stop. because that's all she remembers is what she was able to read um i thought that was a really nice detail like in this memory there isn't any more that's written in that book like the the words just cut out in the middle of a sentence yeah no i every
1: in the truest sense of the word narrative like as the narrative is physically written in this game every the placement how they fall apart, how they move, where they are—it's all very intentional, and it all has its own sense of impact uh, yeah. at every at every step. So, yeah, it's a great point. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, I like where her room is. Not only have we we discussed that it's at the top of this metaphorical tree or this house, but what I like about where it's placed is there's a vantage point to look out over the rest of the house. Mm. And it gives this idea that as I was playing this, that Edith has the ability to look back at the past and grow from her mistakes or look out over everything that's come before her. Um, And the fact that she sits down and is cataloging her experiences here um, and really has a sense of like true growth in this final like moment is, is really, it's really tough to come to grips with, especially when you realize that she's cataloging this for the sake of her son. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just thought that was a really, a really good touch here. Um, and I don't exactly know how to transition to the, to the final like scene here, because it was it, honestly it felt pretty abrupt to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's intentional because that's the whole point of like this. The the curse, quote unquote, this whole game's about. Um, it kind of like fades to black, and you're put in this like weird space, spacey like pink canal type uh, funnel. And there's words floating around that are Edith's words, and you're kind of like putting them together as you're moving towards this. And it you figure out pretty quickly that it's signaling childbirth, uh, yes. the breathing, the heartbeat <clears> in the background. <throat> Um, uh, that unfortunately comes to an end as we find out that, um, Edith Finch is who you've been playing as this whole time, uh, dies in childbirth, giving birth to the next, the, what remains of Edith Finch, uh, her son, Christopher.
0: I think so. I'm not sure if that's, I don't know, I don't know why if that's, that's sticking anywhere. out in my head, but yeah. Um, um, yeah, and there is kind of a, at least for me, there was a gut punch um with this journal where she she had the line where it's like, you know, I'm hoping I can just tell you this stuff. But if you're reading this, it didn't pan out that way. Um <laughs> Yeah, this...
1: This was one of those moments where I had like my hands on my mouse and I'm like looking at the, at the, the monitor and my hand just like <laughs> fell on my lap and I was just like <laughs> sitting there rocking in my chair back and forth. Like,
0: Ooh.
1: yeah, like <sighs> I said, I would come back to this and I've, I've talked about this again, this idea that each person, Edith's this child, you and Edith are all part of this like triangle. That mm-hmm. as you move closer, as two sides move closer to or move up their respective scale, they're both moving away from something and towards another. And this scale is, like, constantly shifting as you're playing this game. You get closer to Edith. You're getting further away from, like, the, the child aspect. And then once you find out there's a child, you start to move closer to that. And then, you know, her and Edith move together. And it's it's... I thought about that like constantly while I've been thinking about this game and um and the reason I I like it so much is because you never connect with that child. Like it's a, it's it's mentioned and it's done in the game the credits roll and you're left to wonder like yeah why did I just experience the story <laughs> like what not like not like what was the point cuz like the point is pretty signposted but I think that the question that we're trying to answer by reviewing this game and talking about it is what the game is ultimately driving at that's that is what the game the question of the game wants you to answer
0: um, yeah, when we talk like I think the curse if we move past the idea of seeing it as something that is supernatural and see it more as something that is self-sustaining and kind of brought on by how the Finch family views themselves, it begins to take on a lot of different meanings, whether or not that's some, you know, there are elements of mental illness or like genetic factors, maybe. But it's more about like uh, trauma, intergenerational trauma and how you process that, Um, where the Finches are an entire family that has lived for generations with like concrete proof that they are doomed to an early death and what does that do to you you know and expand that out and I think really what this I think one of the big things that this game is about is like how much are you impacted by the beliefs and like stories um, from people that you have met like from generations back, you know, how much of them impacts you directly in a very like linear fashion. Um one of the like it's not quite a gut punch, but it just one of those like oh fucking um Edith's son already like he's already got a cast on by by the end of this game. Like the only thing we see of him is like there's some sort of harm coming to this kid, probably, you know. Mm-hmm. Edith is passing on an entire history to her son. And that is a lot, you know, it's a, a huge boon to him to understand where his family comes from. And it also means accepting a whole bunch of this, like, weight that that they've all had to carry up until this point. Um the game ends. I think you're right, pretty ambiguously for Christopher. You know, I, and I'm not. You, it doesn't doom him in any way, but it also doesn't say like, well, now that we've sorted through all this shit, he's absolved of it. You know, mm-hmm. like it. It ends very open ended, which I thought was was well done.
1: Yeah. It's it's interesting because like the way that I had kind of perceived this idea of like this the whole game focuses on Edith cataloging her family's experiences and Mm -hmm. returning to this house in a way so that way she could tell the story and let someone else make the decision for themselves um you know she she said she was getting these stories to pass them on whether or not she was gonna be around to tell them or whether or not they'd be cataloged. Either way, her child would hear these stories. Right. And what I thought was interesting about this is if you look at the, if you look at Odin and Ingeborg or Ingeborg, you know, all these, the previous generations, you have Edie who lived a very, very long life, had had a family that had kids, that had grandkids, all of her kids, like, even though Walter had like a terrible thing happen to him. He lived till he was over 50 years old. Sam lived till he was 30, you know, Calvin, you know, and Barbara both died pretty young and Molly died pretty young, but Edie had the ability for those people to tell the stories of the generations before them to Walter and to Sam. And they had the ability to pass that on to Don, who had the ability to pass that on to edith um and so what i think it goes kind of toe-in-toe with what you were just saying is that if you're armed with the knowledge of what came before you and you don't look at it as a curse or generational trauma or something it's about how you perceive The stories that are there. And I think what this what the story is about is how Edith was able to digest these and tell not a cautionary tale or not a a what not to do or not um why our family is cursed, but told the experience of life of each one of those people that came before them. They didn't all focus, they all had death in them Mm. and trauma in them, but they all focused on the beauty in the life. They talked about how. Uh, Sam was a great dad and was doing things with, the talked about Calvin, how he experienced the world and, in a sense of wonder and, you know, how Walter was, um, uh, was focused on just being as, uh, dedicated to his routine and wanted to get out and experience the world. All of these stories are told in a sense of personality and wonder and experience as opposed to being cautionary tales of what you should and shouldn't do and to avoid the family so if you look at it in the sense of the generational storytelling the branches that last the longest perpetuate the information that's passed down Edie had the best best relationship with sam who had the the you know who also each of them had their own trauma but had the best relationship narratively with don who had the best relationship narrative Uh, with Edith and the way that they told those stories and the love that was shared down the family tree is what causes it to persist. So by Edith cataloging the story and telling every family's events from a place of love and even the ones that didn't last, you you know, almost 70, 80 years ago, telling their stories from a place of curiosity and love and respect, the idea was that whether or not the curse was real, Edith was out to break that cycle and thought it could be told from a a place of reverence to the past and not as a a fear for what could potentially come back from it.
0: Mm -hmm. So one caveat here is that Dawn actively tries to hold these stories. The reason that we're here is that Edith didn't hear any of these stories from Dawn. Um, Don actively tries to hold back, um, this kind of history from Edith and this, this game is her trying to, to sort of reclaim that in some way, you know, these aren't stories that Edith knew growing up.
1: Yeah, Um, I, I guess that's, I guess that's true. And maybe, I guess maybe that would be up to the point that Edith was looking to try to like break that cycle. Um, or at least like understand. Know,
0: she doesn't understand that there's a cycle. <laughs> I don't think, you know, because she doesn't know even like you know how Molly died. She uh, obviously she knows how um, you know her brothers died, but um, there's a lot. Well, she knows uh, that they died young. Yeah, that's true. She knows there's, there's a there's, whole there's... fucking family graveyard. Never mind. It's, yeah. <laughs>
1: No, she know like she knows that they died young, and I guess I guess you're right. I mean, it would that perspective would need tweaked to to a degree because of how sheltered her opinions of that were. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she knew that they were being sheltered for a reason, and Edie was trying to get her to open up that that door, and like almost literally trying to get her to be able to experience those things, and literally gave her a key to be able to you know, to go into those things on her deathbed, her mother gave it to her, like kind of signposted that she did want to open that, that door to try to, maybe this is the reason this curse finally got up to me. What I did was wrong. And that's what killed me. Let me open the door to allow you to experience those things and, um, get those stories told so that way you can experience it for what it truly was and not a, not this curse. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would have to like sit on that a little bit and like rethink that hypothesis. But I think that regardless of whether that's what's going on with deeply with exactly what Edith Edith is trying to accomplish, I think that that's the point of the the narrative is that um, like, do I think the curse is real? Um, no, I don't. I think that you know, obviously, there's. <laughs> there's bad shit that's, that's happened and it's been pretty detrimental and terrible. And this is horrible luck, but I think that you're right. It you know, the victim of circumstance is that you had people die in childbirth. You have genetic disorders that can cause, you know, a predisposition to that, you know, uh, SIDS and, um, you know, kids being kids on a, in a dangerous Island, you know, they reference mm-hmm. that this game didn't have to take place. On an island, it was meant to be on an isolating place that had its own sense of dangers and uh, isolation that could lead to things like serial killers or, you know, being dashed on the rocks and the waves and storms and things like that. So those were intentional design choices because of the circumstances that could take place. And I'm not saying the curse isn't real because I think that ultimately it's up to everyone's interpretation of, you know, the events that have taken place. But I think that in my perspective, it's not, it's the curses meant it's something that Edith is trying to overcome with the stories and the circumstances of, of the events by understanding who these people were, it doesn't matter if the curse is real or not, because it's more about who they were and the impact that they have on the people's lives and the, the generations to come. Because regardless of all of this that's happening, the house keeps getting taller finches keep coming into the world and the curse has not stopped the family from continuing to persist.
0: That's fair. Yeah. and I, again, I don't think it's a, a literal curse. Um, mm. when you visit the graveyard for the first time, uh, Edith mentions that Edie had uh, the graveyard built before the house. Which is like the kind of fucking mindset I think that Edie has put in, you know? And I think that, you know, like you're saying, these, these are about how, you know, these stories kind of impact people. And that's for better and for worse, I think. Um, you know, and sort of understanding that relationship between how ideas get passed from generation to generation. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to boot this game up tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> I immediately want to go back through it again
1: um, yeah I mean this is this is a generational tale like both yeah. literally and like in the sense of like something we don't get the chance to experience in a medium very often like, I would agree with there, that there's, there's so much depth and intrigue and just literal wonder in this that um, I have come to honestly just expect from something that Annapurna puts out Yes. um, just because of how just (laughs) incredibly talented their team is Um, I did have a question for you Um, and this is another one of those things that I just think is a really good topic of discussion I know that this is this has been we've at this point our episode is longer than the game is but uh,
0: right before we hit record Michael was like I don't (laughs) think this will be a long one
1: (laughs) It's always the long ones when I say that. Yeah, exactly. I I think it's worth noting that Edith's name is Edith Finch because she's a part of the Finch family. Hang on. However...
0: I'm just confirming that. (laughs)
1: um, The the game intentionally signposts that her father's name is Sanjay Kumar.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Why if she has the ability to be born without the Finch name, why would her mother want her to embrace
0: the Finch name and potentially be bound to the curse? That's interesting. And there is actually, there's a weird precedent for this. Um, Because Edie's husband, Sven, also takes on the name Sven uh, Finch. Um, Where it almost feels like I don't know. That's, that's another example of an idea that's just kind of been passed from generation to generation, where like the Finch name is so important. Um, Dawn absolutely, I think, understands that the curse isn't real, but also has a serious amount of love for her family. And I think carrying that name forward is important to her. Especially because she's carrying, like, you know, two two dead siblings, um, making sure that that gets passed on. I can totally understand why it would be something that's important to her. Um, that's something that I hadn't thought about, though, because you're right. Like, Edith Finch, her name, her last name, in a traditional sense, would be something else. But
1: yeah, and if like. I don't know, and maybe I'm just I'm thinking about this like too too much from a modern perspective and digging too deep into it. But like throughout like the ending of the game, as I was looking back over my over some of the notes and uh, other things that I read on it, Sanjay marries Dawn. They have these three kids. Um, like none of them, all of them wanted to take on the Finch name, and that was like that was the. I just wish they would have like touched on that something like you know my mom wanted to make sure that we all you know Mm -hmm. stuck to our heritage but like don was also like really intent on like leaving it in the past (laughs) like so but she's also the one who comes back to the house like right but only after her husband dies and she has nothing to turn to yeah that's like it it took a trauma to get her to come back so like all the decisions that she made regarding her kids were all Uh obviously decided upon before yeah (laughs) That's a good point. Demise. So I just wish there had been a little bit more there um, mm-hmm. as to why the, the name Finch persisted, Um, obvi- other than just narratively it needed to, you know?
0: Yeah. And I, Maybe
1: they legitimately just overlooked that, and that's totally fair. This game is so rich that I would be willing to be like, yeah, that's totally fine. Like, I get it. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah. yeah. I I'm sure there's it. a Reddit thread out there I could dig up that answers the question for me. You could say that about anything, though. <laughs> exactly. Like
0: when that's we were that's my cop argu- out answer. <laughs> when we were arguing earlier about what's the best Sonic Rule Thirty Four comic, and like I bet there's a Reddit thread we could look. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Way to expose
1: us, Max. <laughs> so, you're right. That was right before I hit record.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Um I I don't I don't even have like any last thought. Oh, uh we talk about Milton. Oh yeah. Oh, please. So um there's like the ending of the game and Milton is never discussed again. Mm. The game firmly wants you to forget that Milton was has existed. <laughs> um and what's interesting is that a, there's a lot of like when I was looking up some things about this game, it's heavily, there are people out there that say that Milton is the next, is the last remaining Finch. And that was what remains of Edith Finch, was her brother. Um, And it's an interesting take because no one's able to really dig into it that much to give much context because in my opinion, it's ludicrous. Um, (laughs) um, However, Annapurna has created this universe that allows milton to persist as the king in uh the game uh the unfinished swan. swan uh now i have never played this game uh have you played unfinished swan
0: i haven't it Actually, it was just today that i learned that there was a tie-in to what remains of edith finch
1: gotcha yeah i i like literally finished the game and after like a couple hours of like sulking and crying um <laughs> I googled, like, okay, what happened with Milton, expecting there to be some, like, subtle answer in the game that I missed somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And sure enough, uh, Milton, according to the narrative, um, was able to escape this reality and move on. Um, At least until he meets his demise (laughs) as the king and the unfinished swan. Um, That is wild shit. Yeah, um, Now I think this is just a continuity of some of the things that we've already touched on. You know, how you know people are able to, you know, escape or create their own realities, live in their own worlds. We talked about that a lot with Lewis, and I don't really think this is any different. I think this is just it's a continuation of another story in which they were able to tell it's it's very Annapurna. To yeah. be able to take this outside of the realms of just the story of what's happening in front of Edith Finch, letting us know that there are some things, there are mysteries that Edith isn't going to be able to solve about her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and if she ever were to solve them, they would be outside the realm of her understanding, and she wouldn't be able to fully grasp exactly what took place.
0: Yeah. It's it's hard for me to judge how I feel about this, because, again, haven't played the game, interested in it, though... Um, this feels almost to tie it back to another game that we've covered this feels kind of like the true ending of like death store how it ties back into titan souls Mm -hmm. um can this further your understanding of the game yes but if you don't want to consider it like fully canon i think that's totally okay because the core game itself holds up as a complete narrative um I I don't know much about the Unfinished Swan, but it seems like it's a much more surreal game, uh than than Edith Finch is. So PBD on this one. I would like to revisit this, like, you know, if if you and I have a chance to like pick it up and play it at some point. 'Cause we've set a
1: we've set a precedence for retrospects.
0: That's on the true. show, so it's true. You know,
1: there's always the option to come back and discuss this at the end of the year.
0: So, I think that would be great. Um, but yeah, i I'd, as I was writing up my notes for this. Um, because one of the things we think about is like expandability is there an option for like DLC? And what I put was like, probably not, my guy, but <laughs> now I guess that this kind of complicates things, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: if there is, I'm not playing it. (laughs) Oh man. No, I mean, in in terms of, I I said this already, you know, I won't belabor the point, but just, if you haven't played the game, play it in terms of like, there's, it's not often a game can capture like raw emotion like this game does and turn it into Hmm. a narrative device that, um, furthers multiple, you know, multiple different, um, elements that can really like drive points home hit on multiple different fronts and really tell just a really comprehensive story that can um that you can learn and grow from and I really I really like that about this about this game so yeah uh yeah. just an absolute killer like it it got it wrenched me for a good bit and um pretty sure that's what I said like as soon as I finished it I messaged you I was like wow I'm gonna go cry for like two hours that's... well i'm dead <laughs> well i'm dead inside even more than i was before <laughs> um you know barring some insensitive jokes about you know throwing ourselves on rocks in the you know and gregory being an incel you know whatever <laughs>
0: yeah and also speed running this game which i think would be <laughs> How, how quickly yeah. can you go through the five oh stages of grief?
1: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. If I th- We talked about that. If you are speed running Edith Finch, you have a problem. Yeah. Seek help and therapy now. You need to find another game, man.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Um,
1: I didn't understand that. Well, apparently my watch thinks I'm talking to it. Um, so so I think that's going to be a, a good place. To, yeah, that's a great way a to wrap place. it up, Mike. <laughs> yeah, so um, I can't thank you enough for recommending this game. Like, I would not have played this, likely, if you hadn't have just told me, hey, let's do this for you know,
0: PGC. I think you're going to like it. Yeah, this was... I had a feeling that this would this would make for a good discussion. I had no idea that it would make for this good of a discussion. And I really got to just give it up to you for that. You know, this is one that I was really excited to talk about because I think the story is so open to a lot of interpretation and so like creatively rich. Um, I, I, I really got to thank you because this has been great and opened me up to a lot of different ways of of looking at this game now which is why I'm very excited to immediately replay it. Yeah,
1: I've I've already decided I'm going to I'm going to jump in again. I said at the beginning of this the best way to experience this is twice back mm-hmm. to back. So um no, I, I I agree. I mean it's this is this is a good a good experience and I'm excited to like dig into just more of things like this because like um whenever we we put this show together we we talked about a little bit ago we're not going to do things that we don't enjoy mm-hmm. and what i like about things when we talk about like games like resident evil 4 or dead space their games that are just really fun and visceral and exciting and but like games like this like get my juices flowing like this is what games were designed to do like i i've said it multiple times in the last few years i think video games are one of the most intense form of art. And I think that they're like, I think it is abused by by shit, like live service and stuff like that. And I think that Annapurna is a studio that is just doing it right. Um, and I'm not saying you can't, you can't enjoy things for what they are, you know, go do, but as far as like, this is just, this is what I need in the video game space. Uh, games yeah. like this like reset you, um, and uh, get you looking for things. Like immediately after I finished this game, like a couple hours later, I went and bought Journey because I've also never played that, and I'm like, well, I need, I need another gut wrenching tale that I could you know weep through. So I've heard this is a good one. Um,
0: yeah, and if you've made it to this point and you're immediately like, you know, if you've played this or you're looking for things like this. Um, Firewatch is another incredible game that I think we may end up talking about at some point. If this is something that really resonated with you, I could see that hitting pretty hard as well. Hmm. Okay.
1: Uh, I mean, I don't have any reason not to go check that out. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Max, it is what well, is late for us, and it is, um, it's been a long time. We hope that you guys have enjoyed the uh, return to form with a, a blissful, nearly three-hour episode. Um, and I really hope that you give the episode a chance. Obviously, you're getting to this point. You have. Um, but, like, this was a absolute joy to experience uh, in so many ways. And to discuss it, Like, we already talked about how much fun we've had discussing it. Um, mm-hmm. But it just brought this game to life in, like, new ways that I didn't think were going to be possible, even after having just had like the experience of a lifetime with it so um thank you for that and thank you for everyone who you know listened to this it is um it is cool to be able to tell the stories that these games have and discuss them like this um and thank you to Max for being able to you know bring that Avenue uh, forward with me so wouldn't be wouldn't be post game content without you um' oh. Um, that being said, um, you know, not to belabor anyone with closings and and whatnot, but, um, if you like, if you're liking this show, we would, uh, it's been a while since we've had an episode out. Uh, the algorithms are weighing on us. If you could do us a favor and, you know, leave us a review for the show, that would be super sick. That helps us out a lot in terms of, you know, getting the content out there, especially when it comes to like, not just getting our show out there, but like these are conversations. We started this podcast because w- at least for me, conversations like this are not easily accessible um, in the video game space. It's a lot of like reviews or people don't jump like really deep into the stories or they they don't really discuss like the true um, what the games mean nowadays. Um, And I'm proud to be able to try to do that and put that out there and if it can help other people play these games. Like when someone tells me that they've tried Sekiro for the first time because of how awesome it was to listen to us talk about it, like that that's what I'm here for. Absolutely. Um, so That's by really you, what the podcast
0: is built on, is trying to get people to experience Sekiro. That's the that's yeah, the it, core it, message of every episode.
1: <laughs> it will come as no surprise to anyone that uh, all of our highest rated episodes are the from software uh, episodes. Yeah, that makes um,
0: sense.
1: <laughs> and if the, if you're here for the from software content, there's an episode coming up that's from software related that you are going to love. Oh boy! Um, but I'll keep that under wraps for now. Um, that being said. I've one more caveat on that point. I don't stress leaving us a review for the sake of helping our show grow. If our show grows from you leaving a review and it brings these games to light to more people, that's what I'm here for. Like mm-hmm. that, that's what I want. Um, so if you listen to this and you have like a viewpoint, if I'm missing something with this game, like I'm hungry for it, please join the discord and tell us because like, that, again, is what I'm here for. I want to learn and grow and uh, just continue to feed off of, off of these games and everything that they have to offer. So I'd, be, I'd love some viewpoints that you have on it. So, uh, Any other words of, about the game, Max? Anything else you want to cover this evening?
0: You know, at the moment, I've seen What Remains of Edith Finch described as the greatest game you've never played. Um, mm. I would really like to try- change that title. And if this episode helps move that needle a little bit, if you're the kind of person who's listened to our episodes and start to understand the sort of games that really resonate with Michael and I, and you're in that same sort of wheelhouse, this is a no brainer for you. It really, really is. Um, I I can't stress that enough.
1: Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) I won't add anything to that because I was very succinct. So. um, Well, Hopefully it won't be another uh, three months till um, we come back with another episode. Max isn't going to get married again anytime soon. Let's cross our fingers. (laughs) Um, If if he, you know what? Anytime there's a delay, I'm going to say it's because you got married. So (laughs) no one's going to know whether you're married or not. No one's going to know when the real date was. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, we were out again, folks. Max got married again.
0: <laughs> I'm just addicted to it at this point. Oh,
1: or planet. you're a Mormon? Who knows? We don't know, <laughs> and you'll never know. <laughs> oh man. Well, um, you know what, Max? Why don't you uh, Why don't you give us your 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 nice, succinct, sweet uh, post game content sign off? Tears of the Kingdom is mid as
0: fuck. Good night, everybody.